Hey, welcome to the 282nd episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is a podcast about random things in a world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Is there any movies this week? No movies this week. Big shout out to Dave McVale and Andrew Logan. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter and be super duper awesome by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit to the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. We're currently going back to 1999 to revisit X-Men The Hidden Years by John Byrne. So we can see how, how those stories hold up and like what happened in between the regular series and giant size X-Men and crazy people are dying. What? How is that possible? So you listen and find out. But if you can't commit to monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash GMAT from heck. And you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. And that is ko-fi.com slash GMAT from heck. So as I mentioned, there is no official movie feature this week. There, um, Actually, you know, that missing movie, the sequel to, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Searching came out. I, I didn't make it to the theater, and I wasn't really sure. I do want to see it. I'm not sure if I'm going to make it in the theater, which is kind of a bummer. We'll, we'll see about next week or whatever. Uh, but the main feature will be The Last of Us, oh, episode one. You know what I'm talking about, that one part. Oh, my goodness. Ugh, I, I got stuff to say about that. And uh, oh, I'm going to sneak in. I almost didn't make it. I, I, I've only watched one episode of that 90s show, the, the pilot episode. I have some good things to say about it. I, I'm, I'm a little cautious about the rest of the season, so uh, you'll hear about that. And we got two more episodes of Velma. Gosh darn it. They dropped two episodes. I thought they were only going to do one because it's the second week. We got two more of that. We got another National Treasure, Edge of History. We got Star Wars The Bad Batch. And because I'm a week behind, we got the first episode, season four, Servant. This is the final season. And things are just getting nuts in that, sh- that show. M. Night Shyamalan, Apple, Apple Plus, you should be watching that. But let's go to news. There's actually, this feels like there's a lot of news this week. And maybe just to make up for uh, the last a couple couple weeks or whatever. One thing, Invincible Season 2. When the heck is that coming? We, we got a, a teaser trailer. So we see Mark, we see Invincible, and Alan the alien. They're sitting in a diner, and they're, they're eating. And it comes up like, you know, people want more Invincible. When's that going to happen? We need a date. Late 2023. So not really a date. I think we kind of figured it was this year, right? It wasn't, But at least they're kind of narrowing in. Not, not really, a little bit. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, speaking of Last of Us, it was the it had the second largest premiere in like the past ten years, so it did real well. Didn't do better than uh, House of the Dragon, which you know that's got the whole Game of Thrones thing and everything. But it, it did pretty well. About four point million, four point seven million people watched that. So that's uh that's that's really really good. Uh, there was a trailer for the. I'm, I'm trying to go a little quicker so, so I don't just like ramble on, which I'm sure I will be. I'm doing it right now. Uh, there was a trailer for The Mandalorian. And, you know, I have to say, I, I dig the show. I'm a strong supporter of the show. I love it. I wasn't super crazy excited about the trailer. I, I don't know what it was. And maybe, you know, I, I, I love Baby Yoda as much as the next person. Maybe. I, I feel like, I don't know how I feel about Baby Yoda anymore, about Grogu. 
I, I, I appreciate that he's still there, but we'll see. I mean, he's getting, I guess he's getting older. I don't know. Cause the thing is, it's supposed to be the Mandalorian, but it's, it's the Mandalorian and Grogu. So, uh, and because of Grogu, you know, certain things happened and, and which they're going to deal with that, you know, Mandalorian, he wants to like beg, get some forgiveness for what he did. He's going back to Mandalore. And I, I guess there's going to be like the fight for Mandalore. You might, might be seeing that. So we'll see. Um, and I don't know, maybe I'm just being cautiously, not cautiously optimistic. I'm just, you know, I don't want to get my hopes up. So I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm going to love it, but uh, we'll see. There was a trailer for Scream 6. I was kind of surprised we got a, uh, a trailer because we had the teaser. I feel like it was not that long ago, the, the scene on the subway. And I was just like, I, like hmm, that, that's kind of interesting. And it, it felt like it opened it up a little bit. You know, it's a little different rather than being in, in the same town all, all the time. So this trailer, you know, my, my thing with these movies, I, I, I adore the movies. You know, I, I really enjoy them. But it just feels like how many times are we going to go through this? You know, this is a, the sixth movie. And it's still some random person dressing up as Ghostface, whatever, Ghostface killer, Ghostface and trying to kill everyone it's like here we go again and at this point it's like why you know it was one thing in in the earlier movies where there was some sort of connection so you can see like what the motive was why they're doing it and then you know someone just being a copycat or someone whatever so now at this point what where are we going with this and uh apparently this this killer is not like any one we've seen before, which we I'm sure we've, we've heard that before, but uh, it I, I do think that the city aspect, I think it's New York, right? I do feel like that does kind of add a little more to it. It makes it, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. So well, I, I don't know, but there was a, a couple point parts. I feel like the, this killer was killer. I don't know if there's more than one. I feel like they're conveniently lucky because there's a scene where they come into like a convenience store and you know they're to start making threats and stuff like that so the the shop owner worker whatever takes out a shotgun and shoots and misses or maybe you know ghost face ducks conveniently lightning fast reflexes but that right there could have been none of the movies like okay person dead who is this i have no idea and then there's a, another point where, you know, Gail is being hunted. Like, I don't know if she's in her apartment or something like that. And she's in a room and she's got a gun. And, you know, she's talking to the killer, possibly maybe on the phone. And she's like, I'm going to shoot you in the head or something like that. And, you know, she shoots a few times at the door. Well, it's right there. She could have gotten lucky and shot him. Then she walks towards the door. I'd be like, no, uh-uh, don't do that. Just, just wait. You know, wait all night if you have to. Or wait till someone comes. And she starts go, going towards the door, and then the door busts open, and she could have gotten lucky again and shot, but nope. So uh, I don't know. But like, like, like I said, I I do want to see it. So I don't know. Well, I'm being again cautious. Megan, uh, just gonna be a sequel. I think I did. I mention it. Megan two point zero. Did I? I feel like I did. I already talk about this. Uh, it has a date. January 17th, 2025. So we're going to have to wait a little bit, but that's fine. There was a teaser for Superman Lois season three. And a spoiler, maybe, big thing is uh, it looks like Lois is pregnant. 
again. So, you know, they, they have the two, they have the twins, which they're probably gonna be like 14 now. And then they're gonna have another kid. My big question is how, you know, that that's, you know, you go with the mall rats, Kevin Smith conversation. You know, how can Lois have a Kryptonian baby where I, I, I you know, I, it should be a matter of when the kid is born and you know we we did see this because the boys didn't develop their, their powers until just this last year so it's not necessarily that like oh you have this half kryptonian you know fetus it doesn't have superpowers and because i guess it's not ex- exposed to the sun in mall rats the thinking was like oh you get a suntan and you know the baby's gonna kick through the womb or whatever through the stomach but i, I guess i guess if you look at that way where if it takes that long to charge up, if it takes at least like a dozen years, then then there's no problem. But we'll see that. Oh, but then if that wasn't uh, enough of a plot line, something happens. Lois is missing, so that's not going to be good. Uh, and why is she missing? Is someone did someone figure something out? Are they targeting Superman? No idea. Uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. So I have to admit, I'm not like the biggest Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. You know, it wasn't my my generation or I, I missed it, yeah, whatever, working or just whatever, being a semi-quasi-adult. So I, I didn't really watch it. I, I don't think I've, I don't think if I've ever watched any episodes. I actually, I don't even know if I, I haven't seen any of the movies. I saw the, the newer movie. Um, I may have seen like, a couple minutes here or there, but I've never really watched a show. And I don't think I never watched the, the other power Rangers movies. Uh, I can appreciate, you know, uh, who doesn't love a big rubber monster, you know, and, and they do fight rubber monsters, right? They, they get big, they, the dino morphin time, <laughs> something like that. Anyways, they're doing a th- like a 30th anniversary thing. There was actually a trailer. I should have watched it. I, I, I didn't realize there was a trailer. Then I was on YouTube looking, looking up the scream trailer. Cause I, I wanted to avoid it. I wasn't going to watch it when it came out like earlier in the week, whatever, but I was like, I, I got to watch it. Right. So there's a trailer. It's um, I saw some images and the, the big thing is there's no Amy Jo Johnson. So I was just like, ah, that, that's too bad. And then it came out, you know, people were wondering why I, I figured it's like, she just didn't want to do it. You know, she's, she's probably had the more successful career of, of, of any power Rangers. I could be wrong, but she you know, she's been in other things. She's uh, she does a lot of directing now. I think she actually directed. Didn't she direct an episode of Superman and Lois? I could be wrong about that, but I I feel like she did. Anyways, so the big question it sounds like oh she wanted more money, right? I mean, who doesn't want money? I want money. And uh, but she she said, and I think it was like on Twitter, right? That's where I read this. <laughs> I didn't say no. Dot dot dot. I just didn't say yes to what was offered. So is that did she not say no? I mean she she did she did say no. They're like, hey, we want to pay you five bucks to do this. And then what? She just didn't say anything. She's just like staring here. They're like, uh, did you hear us? <laughs> Should I say it again? She'd be like, get out of here. You're crazy. But I, I mean, it, it makes I it's it's hard to say because you know for me it'd be like, well, what about the fans? What about the nostalgia and and. Uh, um, I actually was, was reading some comments, uh, I forget where, where someone was saying how like, oh, you know, she's got a career and, you know, she doesn't need the money. But then someone's like, 
yeah, but uh, my I, my buddy got a cameo of her in a. Actually, I don't know if she was in a pink Power Ranger, but she was. I th- maybe she was in costume singing a song or something like that. And but again, who doesn't want the money? And to do a, a cameo video, you know, take five minutes, ten minutes, and and you get paid versus doing a movie. But I I would think I don't know if I was in a successful movie, I would want to do it. I wouldn't do it for, I guess I would, would want to do it for what I was, you know, what, what I deserved. Like if, if someone's like, oh, we're going to do a comic vine reunion, but we're only going to pay you a hundred bucks, you know, to, to, and you got to get your own transportation or whatever. And I'd be like, yeah, I, I, I don't want to pay the toll, go, go on the bridge and, you know, I don't know, gas. I need, need to get something to eat. This is all coming out of my hundred bucks. I don't know. So anyways, so yeah, she's she's busy. But I, what I think, because when I saw some images, I'm like, that's not Amy Jo Johnson. And I look, it was having to look carefully. Like, is it? It's like, no, that, that can't be her. That's not her. Apparently, I think, and I could be wrong. Why am I even talking about this when I have no idea what I'm talking about? Why am I spending so much time talking about this? This is probably like the longest part of the news segment. But I think it's the second Pink Power Rangers. I didn't even know there was this. It makes sense because I know she was not. Obviously, there's been many Pink Rangers but I don't, there's a, the dino morphin rangers and, and the, is there battle beast rangers? That's transformers, right? <laughs> I should just stop. I, I apologize. I'm not making fun. If, if there's any hardcore, uh, power rangers fans, especially this guy, I know rich, he, he loves, oh my gosh, he loves the power rangers. Yeah. I'm not poking fun. I just, I just don't know. I, I, I liked the concept and idea. And I'm glad that so many it's brought so much joy and happiness to people. Oh, that's the thing is I, I did read a lot of the comics, yeah, because I was reading when, when Kyle Higgins was was writing it, and then I, I stopped because I just did. So, uh, anyways, when's that coming out? I don't know. <laughs> Let's move on. Tron. How about Tron? Tron Aries. It looks like we're gonna get another Tron movie because it you know, for the longest time it's like what happened to Tron Three? It's not happening, and uh, I guess it is happening with Jared Leto. So Jared Leto is playing Ares, uh, some new character, and um, I, I don't know. I thought I thought it was Morphin. Morphin time was Morbius too. Morphin, Mor- whatever. So uh, Tron, <laughs> but that's the thing. So Jared Leto is a great actor. Uh, movies that he's been the lead in, um, like Morbius. I don't know. It's it seems like the supporting roles he does; those movies are big. I don't know. I need to watch the second Tron. What Tron Legacy? I don't remember. I need to watch that again. It's it's been been a while, so I, I don't know. There's another trailer: Batman, the Doom that came to Gotham. So this is a, a Warner Brothers DC animated movie. It's coming out March 28th. And David Gulitoli, who did the voice of Batman, that's not how you say his name, I'm, I'm sorry. He did the voice of Batman in Soul of the Dragon. So this is going to be an Elseworlds. It's not part of like the, the current continuity that they're, they're trying to like establish here. It's an Elseworlds. Did I say that already? And uh, it's it's based off of Mike Mignola uh, story. So we have that. So looking at, at the trailer, I only watched the trailer once. And I'm just, I, I'm trying to remember, I, I must have read the book. Maybe I didn't read the book. I don't know. And I'm just like, what the, what the heck is going on here? There's like so much. I feel like there's so many like layers and parts, which can make it interesting. But it's not, doesn't look like your typical Batman story necessarily, which, you know, again, that that's, could be a good thing too. 
And speaking of Batman, uh, speaking of Joker, which I wasn't, but it, Mark Hamill kind of made some comments. So, you know, of course, people are interpreting it this way or that way. But it kind of sounds like maybe he's he's done doing the Joker again because he, 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 he retired from doing a Joker, but then he kept coming back. You know, they, they kept pulling him back in, you know, just when he thought he was out. Uh, but he would always be like, you know, they're like, hey, you want to do the Jokerness? And he's like, is Kevin going to be Batman? Kevin Conroy? And it's like, if Kevin was in, then he's like, okay, I'm in. Because I think he, someone referred to them kind of as like Laurel and Hardy, you know, just always together and, and that. But now, you know, it's not like he needs to do it. He's a great Joker. Um, there have been other people who've done some good jobs as, as done good jobs has done a good job as, as a Joker, but you know, we, we all love Mark as, as a Joker. So it's, it's weird, but it would be weird hearing Mark Hamill as a Joker with someone else's Batman. Doesn't mean it shouldn't happen. I would love for it to happen, you know, but that, yeah, I mean, I, I, I could just see that where it, it's not like he needs to do it. So to go into the studio and just right there, you know, that's going to be like a huge reminder. It's like, even if, if he's recording alone, like not recording opposite of whoever would be voicing Batman, it's like, it's, that's going to be just like a huge reminder and, and that would be tough. And well, I don't know, maybe, you know, time passes. I, I don't know. Julia Louise Dreyfus says that uh, Thunderbolts is going to start filming in June, but then I have, n- I don't even know when that's coming out. I, I've lost track of the schedule. So, that's that's good. I'm really not sure what to expect of that, but I'm I'm excited. James Gunn. I guess some people are like like why did you cast this Will Poulter guy as Adam Warlock? You know, and I I, I didn't say that, but I kind of thought about that when I saw it. It's like oh that's Adam Warlock. He's like he looks a little younger than I thought. Uh, which okay, you know, I'm not being an ageist or anything, but so basically. Some people are like, oh, why didn't you get someone like Tom Cruise or whatever? And but what he was looking, he wanted someone young and someone who has like the dramatic and comedic chops to handle the role. Not saying that Tom Cruise couldn't do that, but Tom Cruise, sorry, isn't really young. He was also kind of looking at like, what's the future for this character? You know, Marvel might, maybe he knows something or maybe, you know, there could be some plans or some ideas or suggestions where Adam Warlock could go since he's such, has, he's played a big role in the comics, you know, from time to time. We'll, we'll see. So that, that's a, a good thing where, you know, we, we know James Gunn is wrapping up the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy and he's obviously not going to be doing anything Marvel anytime soon because he's in charge of DC. So, but it's it's good to know while he's saying that this is the end of the Guardians of the Galaxy, whatever, it's all over, and you know, I don't know if they're all gonna die, but it's good to know that there's still a possibility of something from that continuing. And, you know, so maybe we don't necessarily get Drax anymore and something else, or Star Lord, but it, it's it's good to know that we could see something. Uh Cobra Kai. I, the, the fact that it's it's renewed for season six, I don't think that is that news. Is it not, not been officially announced or whatever? The way it ended, maybe it's just we all assume. So with with the, how it ends, it's like okay, there, there's got to be another season. But apparently, the sixth season is a final season. So we have that. And speaking of final seasons, um, Outlander. I don't normally talk about this the show, but I saw this news. I was like, wow. So season eight is going to be the last season. Uh, I think 
the last season that aired was six. I actually didn't watch six. I, I've been watching the show. I didn't watch season six. Um, I watched like the first episode and I was just like, eh. but um, the Diana Gabaldon, the author of the, the, the novel series, she's working on book 10. So that to me, I guess that's the surprise because you know, I guess I kind of take it for granted where you know each season has been another book, and I, I feel like they could do more because the the books are like massive, they're mammoths, they're so so long, and the 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 seasons are you know they're limited. What are they, like sixteen episodes? Or is there always sixteen? I don't know. And anyways, they're going to be ending it, and I I find that very interesting. How is it going to line up with? Because the the series isn't over yet, and you know there's there's some some things people want to know, whatever. But what I wasn't aware of is so Laura Donnelly, she plays the sister of Jamie Fraser, um, Sam Hewen, you know, one main, main characters. She hasn't been seen in a while because she's in Scotland and they're like in the U.S. Uh, early whatever colonial times, and it doesn't matter, right? But she they recast her, and uh, I think. I, I was I was like trying to dig a little deeper, like why why are they recasting her? And I think it was said that like around season four they wanted to use her, but she wasn't available, or maybe she just doesn't want to go back. And uh, I mean, she did the Nevers, but there's only one season, and that that's over. And you know, we we she was Elsa Bloodstone in Werewolf by Night. In case you don't know who I'm talking about, you should because I think she's she's really cool. But they she's been recast, so. Um, that's fine because I have no idea what her story is in the later books because I haven't read all the books that are out. So um, yeah, you have that. So there's your Outlander news, which I haven't. I, I mentioned Outlander. I used to, I used to bring it up on the, the the Comic Vine podcast, but I haven't talked about it forever. But I thought I would mention it because I, I was like, wow, it's it's ending. So the next season is season. Se- there's still two more seasons. There's season seven and there's season eight. So there you go. All that <laughs> um, Gotham Knights. <laughs> Uh, there's a oh, the CW. I'm talking about CW Gotham Knights, and I, yeah, I just realized I did a he he he. <laughs> um, Gotham Knights. There's a trailer for it. Oh my goodness! I don't know about this. I really, 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 really do not want to watch this show, but I feel like I need to for for, for you. Just a punishment. I don't know. I, I mean, I stopped watching Batwoman. I, I I don't know. We'll see. Maybe if someone was like like yeah, cover it. But don't do that because that would be mean. If you're doing it just to just to be mean. But if you're definitely interested, I'll, I'll probably I could do it. It starts March 14th. The big question. I I think the big determining factor. What other shows are there? I'm feeling like I need to either either cut down my show coverage. You know, not do full on spoilers, but I feel like you need that in case someone, you know, if someone's listening and, and they're 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 interested but not watching, then they're gonna have like no idea what what's going on. If I just say, well, you know, this episode's really cool because they they developed the character, and you know, that to me just seems boring. I don't know. Maybe that's what people want, but it. I I'm I'm feeling like I need to cut down. I feel like I'm doing too much because the show is just so long, and maybe people want that, but I don't want to cover a show. If there's minimal interest, uh, obviously I'm covering shows that I want want I want to talk about, but I also want to do shows that people want. So if people, <laughs> if you for some reason really want to hear about Gotham Knights, I don't know what what's going on in your mind, but I would do it. 
we'll we'll see. I don't know. Um, something else I really really don't want to see is Rebel Moon. <laughs> I don't I don't know if if I could watch that. I'm I'm gonna try to avoid it, but I may have to watch it. We'll, we'll see. Uh, there, there was this uh, Netflix like here's what's coming out in 2023. Ha, cha, cha. You know, it's like just little clips uh, of everything here and there. <laughs> and I, I think it's it funny. There's clips for some movie called Damsel, which I haven't heard about that. But it's Millie Bobby Brown, <laughs> and uh, I don't know if it was where did I read it, but someone is like Millie Bobby Brown in her first adult role because I guess she's always played kids, she always played teenagers, uh, and and <laughs> whatever. So uh, I don't even know what that that's about, um, but you see some tiny clips, very very brief and short uh, Rebel Moon <laughs> clips, and I was watching this like some space stuff. I'm like, dang it, dang if that is not such a Zack Snyder movie, just a uh, just it just it's like oozing his 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 energy or his whatever his. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, but well, the reason I bring it up is so apparently uh, one of the some Netflix executives talk about why are they they splitting the movie into two? Uh, cha-ching, probably for one thing. I don't. However, they make money off it. You know, subscribers or something. But apparently, they're doing like the the movie and a prequel. The reason they're they're breaking it down aside from the obvious of trying to get more content i'm assuming but i i guess they looked at the the world the massive world that Zack snyder's creating all these elements and everything like that and they're like there's just so much here we it, it just wouldn't do it justice to do one movie maybe something like that <laughs> so i don't know but isn't it like uh army of the dead and then uh what was thieves uh, army of thieves is that what the the, the prequel was I was not too interested in those movies. The army, the zombie. I I love a good zombie movie, and this was a eh, okay zombie movie. But then the, the army of thieves. It was interesting because he had that one character, and you saw his. Spe- but I don't even remember much. I think I was actually fa- falling asleep a little bit during that. It was a Friday night, and I for some reason I don't know. Um, what else do we have in the news? This see, I told you there's a lot of news. Uh, Picard. So Picard, the third season is its final season, and which, which is too bad because I, I like the show, and and I don't know if hardcore truckies like it or if it's uh, sacrilege against what they they love or if it's too woke. <laughs> there's something about that. I don't know. I I, I never say woke. And it just, it just seems so odd. And some people are just so upset when you know trying when people are trying to do different things or include whatever. It's not all about you. I don't care if you spent five hundred hours watching Star. Is that a lot? Five hundred hours watching Star Trek. I don't care if you spent five thousand hours watching Star Trek. You do not own the franchise. And the franchise does not owe anything to you. Yes, they or okay, I take it back. They owe you a little gratitude. Thanks for watching. Thanks for spending that time. But if you're spending five thousand hours, you're you're probably watching like video recorded copies or something, or your home videos or not home videos. But <laughs> they appreciate your support. They don't owe you anything. Yeah, you're you know you're buying movie tickets or watching, but they can do what they want. And the thing is. If, if you want to include different types of characters or different elements 
or you know possibly have oh my goodness a homosexual character oh you can't have that <laughs> it's like whatever have something for everyone it's not just about you is is that i don't know if that's what people are, are getting upset it's like oh no oh oh no everyone's not white or everyone's not this or everyone's not just get get over it just accept it this is the world we live in and yeah when we're all this stuff I'm, why am i on my soapbox the 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 fiction that we watch it 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 doesn't have to be identical but why shouldn't it be reflective of what we have even if you're talking about like a sci-fi whatever anyways i don't know why i'm talking about that um i should say that for an off of mine but i'm not going to but apparently even though that the series is ending there's still going to be some doors left open. There's still the possibility, you know, basically they could do like some sort of spin off off of it, something with the other characters. So fingers crossed if for your favorite characters, you know, um, getting a chance to do more makes sense. Right. Cause you, you know, you don't just want to kill a franchise, just stop it. You know, if people are interested, uh, you know, I, I want more, more. I, I kind of like this Rios guy. You know, I don't know much about him. I don't know if, I think this was he, the first time we saw him was in a series, but I could go for more Rios and I could go for more seven to nine. I, you know, I think everyone wants more seven to nine. So we'll see. Um, and then the last bit of news. Oh, goodness. This was a lot of news. I told you. Uh, <laughs> Channing Tatum has his uh, whatever production company, I'm assuming, They've he's acquired the rights to Ghost to do a Ghost remake. Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore, do a Ghost remake. Obviously, the question is why? Why? Leave it alone. You don't need to do a Ghost remake. Everything gets remade eventually. So we have a Ghost remake. But he said made some comment about that they would have to do something different. He he thinks that some changes need need to happen. So when you think about that. Or you say that, what does that mean? Is that mean maybe they're gonna flip flop it? Maybe uh the the girl's gonna be the ghost, the the woman is gonna be the ghost, or maybe people are gonna love this, maybe it's a homosexual couple. Or maybe there's like a transgender couple. People are gonna hate that. Get over it. I'm, I'm, I should. <laughs> I don't know what changes they're gonna do. Maybe I, who knows? But um, I like Channing Tatum, so I'd, I'd probably watch it at some point. But that is gonna be that's gonna be it. That's gonna be the news. I'm hearing my cat uh, meow. One of the cats meowing in the background. That is gonna be the news for the week. As far as comic books, at Image Comics, there was I Hate Fairyland, number three. I I really, really enjoyed the, the first volume. And if you have not read it, you definitely should read it. So, uh, you know, from Scotty Young. Uh, it, it's so weird. So, you know, in the first I Hate Fairyland, we had Gert, Gertrude. She was whisked away to Fairyland at, at I think she's like six. And she was stuck there for like 40 years or something like that. Wasn't that right? I don't remember. And she was, she was stuck in a kid's body. She grew mentally, but her body stayed the same. So she's an adult in a kid's body. And she grew to be very angry and very frustrated, you know, wanting to get out of there and very violent. So th- that you had all these cutesy characters and whatever. And she was just like, 
just obliterating everything. She finally got out. Spoiler. And uh, now she's an adult. And a job opportunity came back to go back. So she's uh, making her way back there. And uh, it's just, it's it's interesting. So it's the same, you know, level of potential for violence and dark humor. And um, I, I just, I'm so, so glad that, that it's back. And, and I can't wait to see what what was going to happen. You know, it's we're only the third issue. And, and uh, this has just been really fun. Um, I just realized I'm, I'm looking at the list of comics on uh, previews. I didn't read Nightclub number two, which is is a bummer. So uh, Danny Garcia is a high school student who is bitten by a vampire, but he isn't going to mope around and be some annoying goth. He's going to be a superhero, and he's bitten his best friend. Spoiler. He's bitten his best friends, too, so they can form a team. This is going to be great. Note the $1.99 price. Take that, Marvel and DC. How, I don't know how I missed, missed that. So I, I, you know, this is from Mark Miller and Juanan Ramirez. I, I, I like the first issue, but I totally missed that. Old Dog number three. This is by Declan Shelby, and uh, I, I find this really interesting. So we have this uh, this dude. He was he worked for the CIA. You know, he's a hard you know old operative or whatever. And you know, he's got this estranged daughter. There's like this tension between the two, and and uh, they're kind of like having to work together. So they go on on this mission. You know, the, the dude has wants to go to Russia to basically he's going after like his old like handler from when you know he was in the CIA, and uh, we find out a little bit about his past, which is is kind of interesting. And and it's it's I really like the idea of like him and his daughter. You know, she she obviously has like big anger issues towards him, but she's professional and they're working together. And and uh, so yeah, just I, I'm just I'm really enjoying this to see where it's gonna go. Um, some trades came out. Public domain. You should read that. So that's Chip Sadarsky. It's a really good, good series. Um, that Texas Blood. I need to get caught up on that. Uh, the third volume came out for for that. And uh, what's the furthest place from here? Issue ten. This has been a really um, fun and interesting story. I, I really like it. So uh, it's Matthew Rosenberg and Tyler Boss and uh, who who is it? Sweeney Boo does uh, the art and uh what's interesting about this is it's one of those you know we, we saw how the world it's like a post-apocalyptic world you know there's stuff that happened we kind of saw like how things got to where they currently are but like where it started off we see like a bunch of kids we it starts off there's these kids like living in a record store people the kids have kind of formed these different gangs these different families and you know there's 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 other ones and what happened like early on there's uh this one kid and and because they're kids growing up in this world and not being fully educated with not knowing how th- what life was like before and everything like that one of the kids sid she she's pregnant and uh i did i don't think they really know what that meant and you know like what's going on and there's the other thing is like when when you turn into an adult you have to leave. You know, something happens. Like, where do you disappear to? You know, what, what's going on? It's almost, if it kind of feels like, is like Logan's run where you reach a certain age and then, you, you know, you're supposed to die or move on or whatever. But the the thing is, Sid had disappeared. So it's like, wait, what happened to her? Did someone abduct her? What's going on? And uh, so in this issue, it's like it kind of backtracks a little bit and we find out like what, what her story is. And, and 
I'm just so so fascinated by um, wh- like where this is gonna go, and and I don't there's just so I don't know what it is uh, about the 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 series. I mean, maybe it's, it's 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 the story and it's the art and the colors. There's just just something that I I don't I just find it really appealing, and it just I get ex- you know excited every time there, there's a you know new issue. At Boom Studios, there's House of the Slaughter Eleven. I got behind on this. It's so easy to get behind on, on everything. It, it just it bums me out. I feel like I read so much. It's like I barely have time for everything. It's just like so exhausting. I'm getting I'm getting like out of breath now just thinking about like how many comics there are to read. I I, I know that's it's like a silly uh compl- or art. I'm not really complaining or anything, but it's it's like like oh boo hoo. We there's so many comics in in the world to to read, you know. But it's it's not easy to to try to keep up with all this. At DC Comics, we had the new champion of Shazam issue four. So this, uh, unfortunately, is the the last issue, which is a bummer because I I really like where where this was going and uh, well. I mean, it, it was it was a good start. I, I would love to have seen this. I, it was always meant to be a miniseries, which is un- unfortunate. But I really like Mary Marvel and Doc Shanner's art. I just I love. Oh my gosh, I I, I can't can't even ex- express. So this has just been such a fun book, and and seeing you know Mary Mary's the only one with powers now. You know, in the Shazam family because you know Billy is uh at the rock of eternity because he has to kind of take the place of the wizard and you know there's all all this stuff and the, the rest of the shazam family you know they they don't have their powers anymore which would suck if you know you had these powers and all of a sudden they're gone uh bad thing for mary is you know she's trying to go to college and then all of a sudden her foster parents are missing something happened to him so she has to leave college she has to go back you know to the family and to the kids and and we'll figure out what happened to them so she had to leave this awesome college that she's so excited to get into and go into this super crummy like local community college i mean and by crummy i'm not knocking community college at all but this was just like underfunded and just sketch you know things going on but what i what was interesting is that it felt like this this series the the point was trying to lead towards calling mary because you know mary marvel that's not a code name come on but it was like gearing towards setting her up as Shazam. Because, you know, if Billy Batson isn't going to be around, why not call Mary Shazam? You know, it should be something. But there is a new Shazam series coming uh, soon. And I, I think it's going to deal with with Billy, you know, coming back. There, there are some hints to it. Because at first I was like, is this series just going and just going to get ignored? Because you know, we also saw her in the recent Crisis dark whatever i don't even remember what it's called it feels like this is leading into the next shazam thing one of the things that, that kind of bothered me about this is her you know her, her identity she's got a secret identity she doesn't do anything to try to hide it when she's being mary marvel and when she's just being mary it's pretty pretty obvious and it's a lot of people were just like seeing it's like oh that's you type of thing so I, I don't that seemed weird there's uh star girl the lost children number three i really like this story and i you know i'm, I'm trying to look at it. it's like as i'm reading this i'm like wow man there's just something about it there's all these characters i think they're made up 
I think Jeff Johns has created a bunch of characters. You know, all these sidekicks, all these you know kids. I don't know, and I, I haven't bothered trying to look into him. And because I didn't read like Golden Age comics as I wasn't alive, I don't know if if all these characters actually had sidekick characters, and then they were just like forgotten. It could be possible, but like the first or like the the one of the the special whatever uh, one shot books kind of gave a history uh, of everyone. You know, there's like the who's who's files and everything. So it's it's crazy to get all this backstory and all these made up characters. And then some of them like just wiped out like right away. It's like, what? And I, so what I like about this, obviously it's Jeff John's writing and I, I love his, his writing, but we also have Todd Knox art. And I love Todd Knox art. So I, I just, I think it's a combination of two. It's just really making me like this. And I really came to, you know, grow to love the Stargirl character, you know, especially for a TV show. I'm not super duper overly familiar with her in comics. You know, I I read her when she was in Jeff Johns' uh, Just Society of America. And, uh, but, you know, she wasn't like a huge, like she wasn't like the star character or anything. So, you know, I don't know a whole lot about her from the comics, but I just love her here and just seeing the other characters. And so it's, I I can't, I don't know if I can recommend this anymore. Does that make sense? Is that what I'm trying to say? It's just really good. I'm I'm really digging it. And it's one of my favorite books. Nightwing 100 came out. And uh, things are going to be changing in, in Bloodhaven. One, can we take a moment? Oh, my gosh. We have a series that has made it to issue 100. That is amazing that, you know, this hasn't been rebooted like 18 times or, or, or along the way. So I think that's great that, you know, we, we got that. Obviously, it should be more than 100, you know, if, if we're talking like legacy numbers, whatever that would be, because, you know, he, Nightwing had a series before, and I'm sure there's been mini series or whatever. But at least this current volume is at issue 100. And uh, there's just a lot of craziness going on with, you know, prison breakout. And we got this heartless dude, which I don't like this heartless dude. We're not supposed to. So that's, I guess that's a good thing. But there's definitely going to be, I, um, some changes in, in Bloodhaven, but what I what I like is like okay, you have all these, you know, inmates escaped. Some you know some have actual superpowers. How is Nightwing going to deal with all this? And so I, I like the way that they handle all this. And then as far as where this is going to go, I th- I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, spoiler: one of the things that comes up, and and I don't know if they're going to do anything with this, but one of the things that was was kind of presented to nightwing was like hey we want you to be like a protector of earth which seems kind of crazy and i haven't read like any like upcoming like the the big new direction for dc or dc characters or anything like that because uh i heard connor's going out to space superboy it's like what why come on I, i don't i don't like cosmic comics for some reason i don't know it's just just doesn't really work for me but the idea of Dick Gr- of Nightwing going out into space, or even like let's have him join the Justice League or lead the Justice League, but it's like wait, he's so committed to Bloodhaven, how could he spread himself so thin? Yes, Batman does it. Batman can have eighteen books a month. I don't know why I keep going to number eighteen, but 
it it just it doesn't seem like other characters can do that. You know, you got Batman, you got Wolverine, or you know, Spider Man. They can be like all over the place, but it, it, when someone else does it, it doesn't seem as realistic. I don't know, maybe Just League teleporters, if those are working. So, um, it's really good, good issue. Monkey Prince issue ten. Uh, I enjoyed, been enjoying Supergirl's appearance here. And, you know, we had Monkey Prince and Supergirl fighting the Ultra Humanite. And I liked the connection or the, the past or whatever you want to talk about Ultra Humanite. That's another character that I don't know a whole lot about. So I don't know if anything's changed here, but uh, I, I think there's some interesting things. And then this is kind of like dipping into leading to like the Leviathan War or whatever that, that is. So, okay. Batgirls issue 14. Uh, oops, okay, I, I skipped a couple. Um, Batgirls w- was good. Uh, I, I like this. This, there's a, this is kind of like a silent issue because it's focusing on, on Cassandra, Cassandra Kane, and you know she's trying to track down Stephanie Brown. And uh, it, At first, I'm, as I'm reading this, I was like, we've seen so many silent issues, and I feel like sometimes... I mean, it's probably not the case, but I feel like it's kind of a cop-out when you do a silent issue. It's like, oh, you don't have to write any dialogue. But you do, you know, It. I feel like in some ways it puts more work on an artist. Maybe not, because the storytelling is has to, has to come across for, through the art. You know, you need this to tell the story. And that doesn't mean that the writer is off the hook, because the writer needs to help out or explain or try to convey. I, I don't know what the the collaborate whatever process is. If like okay, this is where we need to go, and then the artist like okay, got it. I'm gonna I I know what I'm gonna do. I, I know I can fill up these like you know twenty pages, or it, do they sit together? It's like okay, how about in this panel we have this happen, and then maybe show this, and then I really like this you know thing here to be whatever. So I don't know. Well, I, I'm I'm glad. I was a little concerned that Batgirls was ending with issue twelve. That they're just say, oh, it's a twelve issue series, but it's. And then we had like the annual. So I'm like, okay, is that really? Does this the last? I'm glad it's still going. Okay, so what did I skip? Uh, Lazarus Planet Assault on Krypton. I don't know. I mean, they're they're talking about some stuff with 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 Krypton, but but then uh, we had a story with like Power Girl, and. Uh, that was like the backup or the second story. So that was interesting. And I, I feel like it's good. You know, are, are they planning on actually using Power Girl more? Uh, and then I feel like, but if they use her more, are, are is someone going to make the call like her costume needs to be updated or changed? Costume is not very practical. And I'm not talking about the, the boob window in, in, in the front. It's basically, it's it's a bathing suit with a cape and boots um it doesn't seem practical but it's classic right so that's just a hard hard thing if if you saw someone you know wearing a bathing suit and and, and boots it, it just it wouldn't it would look kind of weird but if they were to change it then it wouldn't feel like it was power girl i, I don't know the the main or the first story was a kind of like lex luther um, story, you know, we we had actually no, that's the second story. I take it. Um, I'm I'm going backwards as I'm I'm going on my iPad, and uh, we have Lex and Mercy. You know, there's like this Leviathan, whatever the storm is happening. 
Um, just some interesting things there. But then uh, there was also uh, Superboy, Jonathan Kent, and uh, some interesting developments there as, as well. So, because uh, he's he's supposed to get electrical powers, right? Isn't that that happening? We saw that somewhere. So, um, but I, I felt like what I read that there, or I don't know if it was in this issue, talking about like this wasn't really Krypton because uh, I was like, how are you tying into this into Krypton? And so this is going to be like what, like 30 years ago or 20, 40 years longer? Uh, I don't know. Then there was Batman Fortress issue eight. So this was the final issue, I believe. I'm pretty sure this was the final issue. Yeah, the shocking conclusion. And um, eh, I, I feel like the, the ending, it just seemed kind of weird. A little bit. Or, I don't know. If it, some, some parts it was kind of rushed. You know, the whole, I guess, I think the, the biggest problem I have is like, okay, we have these aliens attacking Earth. And Superman disappears. Like, what? What the heck happened to Superman? He's like one of. The, we need his help. You know, these these aliens are like stopping everything, and the whole world's like in darkness. And and Batman and Lex and you know some other couple other heroes, whatever. They were like, let's go to the fortress. And you know, maybe there's a way there. We find out like what happened to Superman, and is there any way we can stop these aliens? But what we find out along the way is that the reason the aliens are on earth is because they're angry they want it's kind of like a revenge thing against the house of l apparently crypt kryptonians and the house of l they're horrible people all these like crimes against humanity or whatever against other planets and and stuff like that and and of course lex loved it he's eating it up or whatever which is just so it's like shut up lex and when you know all this stuff happening it's like okay is this going to be revealed like oops that wasn't really the truth or you got this wrong or that was a lie or whatever but the way they kind of went with it it's like it's like no that really did happen and the fact that whatever these crime things had happened superman was paid a price because he's kryptonian even though he barely was even born before the planet you know blew up uh, I don't know, but uh, there is a there is a pretty definitive cliffhanger. I mean, there there's definitely reason to we need to go back to this world, this pocket universe, whatever you want to call it, and explore the big thing that happened at the end. And I'm not going to spoil that. Okay, then there is a Justice or not Justice League T- Titans United uh, Blood Pact issue five. And so this is a, I'm, I'm always in, kind of interested in, in this series. And you know, so Kevin Scott writes it. It's, it's interesting, I, I guess because when I was reading these, these Titans and like the, the, the last Titan series, it's like, are these in continuity or not? And then when you read it, it's like, there's, there's no way this is in continuity. It just doesn't feel like it is. It doesn't seem like it would line up because you have, you know, when Jason Todd's on the Titans, like, whoa, 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 when would that ever happen? But so with certain things like that, and I, I think it's it's very interesting because then you get just all this tension and, you know, bickering between uh, Jason Todd and like Superboy and, and it livens things up. So I, I really can appreciate that, just that, like the spiciness or whatever of the story. And 
And also with elements like that, it kind of felt like this is lining up more with the HBO Titans series, which I think is kind of cool. And if that's the point, and again, I don't know. I never look up the backstory at all this stuff. And, you know, I don't I don't do interviews anymore because I don't have the time to try to do them, try to conduct them and ask for them. You know, to I can't do phone interviews during the day when I'm you know teaching. And and I don't really read a lot of news because it seems like DC doesn't send out press releases. You know, Marvel sends out like teasers and press releases, but I guess with DC you got to go to DC's blog, and I always forget to do that. So I don't know the whole like premise direction of this, but I I like it. And if it is meant to align semi sort of with uh, you know closer to the series, I think that's a cool idea because if there's you know a bunch of people out there watching the show and they want something, this is more something that they can get into that's not tied to all the cr- what the heck is happening in the main DC universe. It's so crazy to try to jump in and start reading like where to even start. And if so, I, I like all these these characters that are, the way they're all together here and. Um, all I'll say is, uh, you know, with what happened, just the, the last page, there's a, a pretty big cliffhanger, and um, I, 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 I don't know. Uh, what does that mean? Is that character going to survive? We'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I, just, I, I don't know what more to say about that, because I, I saw it, I was like, oh, man. <laughs> uh, then there's Flash 791. Um okay here's here's the spoiler complaint whatever you look at the cover we got this new character it's like who is this okay this is kind of cool we have impulse we have kid flash wallace west and we have uh i guess it's supposed to be wally west based on what's going on in the story they're kind of hiding behind some rubble and you got this character floating in the air just menacing you know female character there's fire in the background obviously she's got power she's floating there probably causes destruction who is this character and then the the blurb on the cover miss birder and mayhem what is going on so who who is this character gonna face well guess what (laughs) character shows up like on the last page so this cover and this because this is what dc did and I don't know if it's X. I don't know what, what why this happens. But there is a I forget if it was Catwoman or or, or um, Punchline where it's like Punchline versus Catwoman. It didn't even happen. Is it was going to happen in the next issue? And it's just kind of weird. So this is uh, continuing the one minute world. This is this is only part two. Feels like it's been more than two parts. And these these where aliens come and. I don't know if it, this is just happening so fast, but then obviously you got the speedsters that are the only ones that are aware of what's going on, and because they they can move so fast. Um, just the the main concern here is some one character was majorly injured. Is this character going to be dead? That would be you. Don't get me started on comic book deaths. I would say is, they better not be dead. Then there's GCPD, the Blue Wall. This has been a a, a fun book because it's it's um, I feel like a lot of people want this, you know, a book focusing on the police department in Gotham. You know, like what what is that like? And one of the cool things, you know, apart from Renee Montoya being the commissioner, is we've seen these like three rookie cops. You know, they graduated academy and we're, we're saying like what they have to deal with. 
And one of the what I find fascinating, maybe because it's a Latino Latinx character, but there's one character that, that's dealing with a lot of racism, and you know there, there's a, a warning in there that there's going to be some language and stuff here that may be hard to read for some people, and uh, it it, it kind of you know bothers me a little bit. I'm just like, oh, this just the idea that some people can be so blatantly racist, and because the when you got racism. To me, it's just, it's like a matter of ignorance. It just, it just seems, you know, why does anyone feel like their ethnicity is better than anyone else? It's just so ridiculous. And it can't be like, oh, I'm white and why everything should be white. You know, we, this is our country. It's like, okay, guess what? It's not your country. It's not anyone. It's, this was not our country. I'm talking about the United States. This is none of us's country. We are not native to this land. You know, some of you, you know, maybe listening are, but the idea is, is because America became predominant, whatever, formed by white dudes, whatever, doesn't mean you own the country. It's it's everyone. You know, people come here, and even if you have immigrants, immigrants come in legally. So then that means they are a citizen. That means they are entitled to everything. And you know, it's just it's so. The, is this like the the preaching episode? I keep going off on these different things, and I don't want to. I, I I'm not trying to ignore. I'm not saying that it, it's should be addressed or talked about, but also I don't want to just turn. You know, I'm trying to make this fun and lively, and I, I don't know. Maybe we should do like serious talk segment. I don't know if anyone. I don't know if anyone wants that. So, anyways. <laughs> the GCPD the blue wall uh, that's one of the aspects of it uh, and uh, the only thing is so I've been joined this then at the end all of a sudden things take like a quite a turn one one character decides to just like totally turn thing. what the heck are you doing that you there's no coming back from that and that's just I, I don't know uh, so it's it's worth reading um, Black Adam issue 7 I'm I'm just kind of skimming through this series. I don't I I don't love Black Adam, and I, it's just kind of weird. It's like oh, Black Adam's dying, and then he's going to bestow his power. And uh, this is this person supposed to be like a an ancestor somehow related, and what's going on? And I is is he dying? Is he not dying? But I still think like wasn't this this series supposed to be taking place before Death of the Justice League? So now, if that was the case, this feels like it's so dated because that was felt like it was so long ago. I don't know. Uh, then we have Batman One Bad Day Bane. So this was written by Joshua Williamson, but I, maybe I just I don't love Bane. Um, it, it was interesting to, to see the take on, on Bane where he's... It's like you know where 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 is he gonna go? He he. It's like he doesn't want to necessarily be a villain, but he's not really a hero, even though he's kind of he does some sort of heroic things. You know, a couple of things. He's he's got his sort of mission, like stuff that he's trying to deal with. But one of the things that felt a little weird is you know there was like running between Bane and Batman. And at first, I'm like, okay, this is just an out of continuity book because, like, I forget which one it was. If it was a Riddler, there's one of them that just felt like really like out of continuity. But there, there's mention here about Bane being responsible for Alfred's death, and it's like, wait, if this is the case, I would 
I can't see Batman being so calm, being in the same room with him, and just be like, "Hey, you know, whatever we you know, we need to talk." Or so I don't know. And then there's Batman Superman World's Finest. Oh my goodness, this this book is just so much fun, and it's Mark Wade and it's Dan Mora. Oh man, it's the art. Oh, Dan Mora is on fire, um, and and it just it kind of scares me in a way because. You know, Dan Moore has been doing a bunch of covers and stuff, and I, I there's I was I think no maybe it wasn't Nightwing. I felt like yeah, there was like one book he did like two variant covers. I was like what? I was like come on, man. So I feel like they're gonna start like trying to get him to do more covers and less interiors, which that's how it always goes. Whenever you know these artists become hot shots, and and I don't mean that in a bad way, but whenever they become you know super popular in demand, it makes sense have them do the covers rather than interiors because they could do multiple covers and, you know, use that, that fame and whatever interest to sell those books rather than just like one issue where they're only selling to one instead of whatever. So uh, this was a, a good book. And then um, it's just, it's interesting because this apparently is in continuity and just like, yeah, I, I, I really, I really like this because even though if it is in continuity, it's it still feels like it could totally like hold its own or stand on its own. So I mean, you should definitely check out this series. You know, once it gets collected or you know find the individual issues. Then at Marvel, we had what do we have? Avengers Forever issue thirteen. I I can't I can't get into this. Um, there's there's still a lot of variant figures characters and it's just like i i just i i'm not connected with him i just i don't care we do see the identity of avengers prime you know who is this one character maybe it's to be expected i i was like okay whatever and you know i, I didn't wasn't super crazy about that uh then there is a x-men or Dark Web X-Men issue three. So you know how I feel about Dark Web. I am not the top fan of X-Men Dark Web. I do not... I just, it just drives me nuts. It just, I do not like it. I do not like the idea. I think it's the idea of Ben Riley becoming this hardcore villain because his he lost his memories from his... You shouldn't have been working with the Beyond Corporation... But then he's blaming Spider-Man for stealing his memories. You know, he's entitled, blah, 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 whatever. So that's just utterly ridiculous. The X-Men side of it, where Madeline Pryor is kind of like the same thing. She's like, oh, I want I, I feel like I've been robbed of my memories or whatever because I wasn't allowed to you know, see my, my son, you know, after he was born and blah, blah, blah. And, but it's just like, Eliana just gave you limbo because you guys kind of bonded and you're being cool about everything. You know, they're giving you a second chance and then you just go and kidnap people and do this and that. And, but I will say that this issue, I did enjoy this because it's Jerry Duggan. So how, how why wouldn't I like this? I really liked the ending, the resolution, and just just the way this closes, and and that made me I I can I can totally buy 
and understand Madeline's anger and, and you know her her motives. So I, I really this issue really turned me around. I like I really kind of can appreciate all that, but I can't say the same thing for Spider Man Chasm whatever. Deadpool issue three. Uh, I I mean I I I really like Deadpool. You know I I'm not like the biggest fan. You know number one fan or anything like that. I really like Deadpool. I think he's a lot of fun. Um, it's yes yeah, sometimes he can be a little annoying. You know it's, it's he's a bit much. But with this this um series, Deadpool had is like like a symbiote bonded to him because this this one crazy scientist lady wanted to see. Because it basically it wouldn't survive in regular hosts because it would just end up eating up the host or something like that. With Deadpool's healing factor, they're able to infect him, and you know just try to see what are the traits or elements or whatever of of the the symbiote, and you know try to find a balance between Wade not being totally overtaking and. So I don't know, and on, on top of the, you know, there's also a mission of, or you know, Deadpool took on a mission. He's wanting to join this like elite group of of assassins or whatever, and things didn't quite work out, and so there, there's like kind of like two two parts of the story going on here. Hulk issue eleven. Uh, this is more of the planet Hulks or whatever thing, and I'm I'm not super loving this, I guess, but. What what's interesting is is you know it's Ryan Otley drawing it, but he's also writing it. So the, this issue, you know, we we get the, the idea of Godbald. You know, it's dealing with like planets and everything. So that was kind of interesting and all that. But this Planet Hulk thing, I, I I don't know how I feel about that. And I, I I'm just I'm not a big you know Starship Hulk you know fan. It, it just it seems. I liked it at first. I was like, "Oh, this is kind of cool. This is interesting," but I, I don't. I just, I don't know. I feel like maybe I don't know where it's gonna go, and but we'll see. Uh, then there's Invincible Iron Man issue two. So this is Jerry Duggan, as as I mentioned before. You know, I I like his writing. Um, What's interesting about this, it's it's a matter of like tearing Tony Stark apart. It's like, you know, obliterate the character and it's a rebuild him type of thing. So Tony Stark is really, you know, fallen and you know, he's being framed for some things and you know, he's dealing with a lot. So all that all that's it can be a little hard to read sometimes, even though, you know, I find Tony Stark to be a jerk and, and arrogant and everything like that. So it's like, well, maybe, you know, a little karma. He does deserve some of this, but he's, he's a, he's a good guy. You know, he is a hero at the end of the day. Um, then we also have all the stuff with Riri with the uh, iron heart and she obtained the Mandarin rings, which apparently are different than the Shang-Chi rings. And, you know, there, there's this kind of like this argument between, Tony and Riri about you know because she wants to keep them safe and everything like that, but he's like you know you can't have them because they're they're dangerous and everything like that. But she, she's says she's more incapable of so yeah I don't that's that makes it's it's like almost like Riri is being it's like is she under the influence of someone? It's like that doesn't seem like her to be so abrasive about it. I don't know. So we'll see where that's gonna go. Because that's definitely going to um, make things interesting. 
Peter Parker and Miles Morales, um, Spider-Man, Double Trouble. This is by Mariko Tamaki, um, Vita Ayala, and Guri Hero. I love... Have I mentioned I love Guri Hero's art? <laughs> like, how, any chance I get? So this is this is such a fun book. You know, this is nine plus. This is like a ridiculous over to one. It's kind of ridiculous. It's it's just such a fun book, and it it's it's not grounded in reality. But we're talking comic books. We're talking. It's it's silly and it's just it's so much fun. And I I just I really like that. But I, I think it's you know it is a lot about the the art and if if it was drawn by someone else, I might not give it a chance and you know I I would miss out. But it this this is just it's 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 so silly and I'm I'm just I don't want it to end. Punisher issue nine, <laughs> Punisher man, uh, it's just it's just craziness happening. You know Punisher is with leading the hand and. Ares is like feeling the Punisher is not living to his potential and he has like all his men and you know he's setting you know there's a big fight coming up between them and then there's the the hand whether or not Frank is worthy of being whatever not necessarily the avatar the beast and leading the hand but you know we're we're also we have some heroes who are questioning things which which again What's interesting because, like in Daredevil, you got like the Avengers, like Captain America, or whatever, like, oh, we got to put a stop to Daredevil. And here they're like, we got to do something about Frank Castle. It's like, spend your time. Okay, for they, they've heard that Frank Castle is in his violent manner killing some very bad people. Yes, that's not okay. That's not appropriate. But which, is it necessary a priority to go after someone like the Punisher? over oh there's like people dying on on the streets because someone's like targeting them or doing whatever shady dealings it's like yeah maybe it's it's small fry but you go after the bad guys instead of the anti-hero who is killing horrible guys but man um yeah there's definitely some some developments here then there was Spider-Man: The Lost Hunt. I, I'm I'm struggling with this. Just I don't like seeing jerky Spider-Man. Oh, he's such a jerk to you know. Mary Jane is pregnant, and he's just being such a jerk. And yeah, there, there at one point there's a matter of you know him being influenced or uh, you know under a spell or drugged or whatever. And I I think that's the thing. It's like I can totally. I you know I love I love Craven's Last Hunt as much as everyone else, but I just feel like this is just dragging it on. You know the aftermath. You know Gregor. It's like, dude, get a life, get a hobby at least. So I don't know. Uh, then there's Star Wars Han Solo and Chewbacca issue nine. Uh, this is this is a good book. It's 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 fine. You know it it's not knocking my socks off or anything like that, but it is fun and I I feel like it's handled well enough where it feels like it could fit into like regular Han Solo continuity, but it, it just, it makes me like, I want more of solo. I want a sequel to solo, which has nothing to do with this, but at also it's as, as interesting as it is, it, it kind of feels like something's missing. Like it's, it's not quite 
reaching or you know whatever the bar that has been set but it's it's still you know a good book then we have strange issue 10 so we have strange uh clea and uh spoiler stephen strange is sort of back he's still he's dead but he's in a different guise serving a different person being and there's just, I'll just say there's some development, <laughs> so we'll just leave, leave it at that. Um, but th- this was interesting with with how things were handled. Because okay, spo- what 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 has to happen in this series? We have to have Doctor. We can't have Doctor Strange dead. We can't have Doctor Strange in this other role. So somehow he needs to come back. But if it felt like there was like an opportunity to bring him back before, and they didn't go that way, so there is an opportunity here you'll have to read to see if they actually are going to bring him back or not or bring him back or not here in this series. Then there's a venom issue 15. <laughs> this is, this is a dark web, uh, crossover looking at, at the cover, you know, it, it's a, like a link interlinking, um, cover with issue 14, but, uh, venom's like all red, Venom's been is affected by Madeline and her craziness and whatever. Ben Riley Chasm did some stuff and I tried. I was like, okay, I I don't want to read this because I I'm just I am so not excited for Venom. And and I'm just it's it's been weird. It's like what the heck is going on? You know, Eddie Brock's in space, but Eddie Brock's on Earth. And it's like, wait, is this Venom? Is this symbiote? What's happening? And then being influenced by uh, Goblin by Madeline Pryor and 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 Ben Riley. It's basically it, there's a I just don't want. It's hard for me. I can't even skim through this issue because I just I. It, it it just bothers and not that it makes me angry but i just feel like oh man i just i can't get into it and then there's you know someone else gets a symbiote i'm like oh man and uh what was it there's there's i i totally forgot there's like others this one other big thing that kind of came back and i totally don't remember now oh that was it uh so ms marvel I love Ms. Marvel, but Ms. Marvel had a dark web, like two issue tie in book, you know, because there isn't no current Ms. Marvel. There will be soon, I guess. But so she's appears there and then she's pops in here. I'm like, what? Okay. At least she's somewhere. And then, you know, she gets mixed up in this. What, what, what is going on? Um, And then the last book I read was Wasp number one so this is by al ewing and uh cassia nye and uh i think tom riley does he just do the covers um but this is a this is i i I, it's it's weird because with with janet van dyne with wasp i feel like she hasn't really been used in the longest time you know she we we barely see her it's like what what is she up to and then i i really like nadia I, i think she's a you know, there's a lot of potential for her. And unfortunately, you know, her, her series was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, was there gray hero art in that? Maybe that's why I loved it. But then that ended because I don't think sales were, were very strong. And it's like, what has she been up to? Cause you know, we don't really see her and, you know, there's no champions uh, series. Uh, 
so we you know we we get to to see both of them here so that that's cool and and i hope it continues that way because i i would like to see both of them i think both of them uh janet and nadia deserve a a chance and to be in the spotlight so i i hope we get to see more of of them but with that i think i gotta this has been a longer news segment and this is gonna be a long episode so that is gonna be comics for the week so a lot of good stuff this week uh it kind of makes up the last few weeks have been a little little lower less less comics and this 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 week made up for it all right with servant season four episode one pigeon so like i i mentioned we're gonna be like a week behind on servant i didn't get to it last week but that gives me and it gives you more time to watch it and keep up with it so this has just been an interesting show and hopefully you you've been following along so you know what, what what's happening i mean the, the way last season ended with uh with with dorothy just you know we had this big confrontation where she was just like done with leanne so leanne is like the nanny that came in um, just just a backup. So Dorothy, she is very a uh, pushy newscaster. She's her husband Sean is like the chef, and he's like recently had like the the, the potential to do like a a TV show, like a reality show, like cooking show, and where he's like the the chef, the celebrity judge or whatever. And then there there's her brother Julian, who um, has a has had like a history of substance abuse problems and stuff like that he drinks a lot and he's just kind of there and everything but what had happened uh before the first season started is dorothy overworked and everything like that she accidentally left their baby jericho in the car in in the middle it was like august and baby died fried you know fried just too hot everything like that she had like a breakdown denial and everything like that just wouldn't accept it so sean and julian and and even dorothy's dad who we've seen a couple times they you know just trying to cover you know trying to deal with it and everything like that i think it was like covered up or i, I don't know you know just influence your dad's money or anything like that so they, they end up getting like this like a living doll which was a doll that looked like almost looked real it's kind of freaky because when when they you first see it in that first season it's like what what and so the first season started where they're hiring a nanny because she was finally ready to go back to work. So Leanne is this girl comes from like this small town. I think it was Wisconsin or something like that. You know, very like religious area. There's like something, you know, there, there's there's stuff going on. And, you know, Sean has to explain, it's like, it's like, yeah, you could just, you know, do whatever you want during the day and just be back here and everything like that. But then I'll, I'll never forget that that first episode middle night sean gets up or something like that then all of a sudden he hears like a baby on a baby monitor like like a baby kind of like coughing or, or crying or he goes in in the jericho's old room there's a baby in the crib and it's just like what so somehow leanne caused a miracle or it's like there and they're like where'd this baby come from then they're like you know julian's adamant that it was her baby that he, you know she brought the baby in in her suitcase and you know all this stuff like that but then we find out that there's this church is like after her and you know there's like all this stuff and and there's like even backstory that uh dorothy had done a news story on on this church or it was kind of like a cult or whatever and there i think there's like uh, Leanne was actually in, you know, as, as a child was in, in, in one of the interviews or something like that. So it's, it's just gotten to the point where there's like just, just big tension and, and just Dorothy wanted her out and is like trying to you know, push Leanne out. Say she was like a, a threat or crazy and everything like that. 
it ended with uh, just this big tension where they realized, you know, there's like a psychiatrist there and, you know, he's like, I'm not here for Lynn. I'm here for you, Dorothy. Cause she was just kept pushing and pushing. She's leaning back on a railing. Cause you know, they're like in a, a brownstone in New York city and you know, like maybe almost like three levels up or something like that. And then the railing just behind her gives out. She's holding Jericho. She kind of like, like almost like like Scone Leanne is able to grab Jericho. She falls down, bam, bam, like hits a couple times, and she's just laying there on the floor. It was, and it was just like holy crap. So it's it, there's a, a new beginning, new intro with, with season four. So again, it's episode one, season four, episode one, pigeon. There, you see like wet rooftops and there's like puddles and Leanne's on a roof with Jericho like out in the rain or something like that. So the episode starts off with Leanne's like cleaning up Sean's office. There's lots of like gourmet gauntlet stuff from his show. Uh, you know, there's like some cups and like a cardboard cutout and everything like that. She looks out the window because at, at the park, like across the street or like whatever, there's been a bunch of like homeless people, like a camp there. And at first, there, you know, there was like a lot of concern there. But then some of those people were from the same church that Leanne went to, but they're actually on her side now. They're like there to protect her. So she, you know, she looks out the window, she goes downstairs and you see that there's like one of those like electric chair, like elevator lift things at the, at the bottom of the stairs. So that's going to be for Dorothy. So obviously with that fall, you know, she's probably gonna be in a wheelchair or something like that. Um, Sean's show is like on the TV in, in, in the living room. You know, it's like turned on. It's like the season premiere, and he's like just like a like a over the top like angry chef. You know, he, like this one guy gives him you know his meal, and he Sean tastes it. He's like, my grandma makes a better whatever it was. He's like, and she's been dead fifteen years. He like flips a plate over. Like he's like, get the fudge out of my kitchen, and like the studio audience is cheering and stuff like that. So it's like okay. So Leanne continues getting things like straightened up. There's like a string of letters over the doorway, you know, like welcome home, Dorothy and everything. Julian calls Leanne. He's like, like, oh, three months ago, she wanted nothing to do with this place. Now she won't leave. So Julian and Sean are there to pick up Dorothy. So she's probably like some like rehab place or something. I don't think it's a hospital, or but it's something. He's waiting on Sean. He has to sign a bunch of papers. Um, and Leanne mentions that she's making Dorothy's favorite cake and everything. And she asks about the flowers that she ordered, something like that. And Julian's like, like order in in the back of his car. So it's like parked across the street. He's like the keys on the, the the hallway counter, something like that. So she goes out. You know, she gets off the phone with him, or she closes the door behind her, crosses the street, gets the flowers. But then when she looks back at the house, because I, I think a car drives by or, or something like that, and uh, she looks at the house, and the doors somehow open. But she like closed it, and I, I I don't remember she locked it or not, but she definitely closed it behind her. She looks around, and the street is like empty, which is just like really weird. There's like no one around, and she goes to the goes she goes inside. She goes to the kitchen. She flips a deadbolt on, on the back door. She keeps looking around, and the TV still on. You know Sean's show. She turns off the TV, and you can see there's someone in a reflection behind her. So she like runs and there's this dude, he's like wearing like kind of like a, a heavy coat, and like a, a cap. And she kind of like ducks around a corner because like the way the living room like kind of opens to the, the dining room and then like the hallway kind of also goes around to the dining room. So they're kind of like, you know, going around there. And then, uh, he, you know, so she ducks around a corner and when he comes back in the hall, she smashes him in, in the head with, with the big, huge uh, vase, you know, flower vase that, where she put the flowers in there and she runs out the, f the front door 
there are other people on the streets now. So like before there was no one, now there's like these, they're obviously people from the, the church. So she hops in, you know, she still has Julian's keys. So she hops in the car and she, she locks the door. And, and this other car like turns onto the street and this one dude yells to the other. He's like, only the church can see this. And then they kind of scatter because, you know, this other car was, was just driving up. So then soon, like, you know, she's still in the car. The streets are empty again. So she texts Rox, Roscoe. So Roscoe was a private investigator dude that, uh, that Julian had hired. He got like pulled into this and everything like that. So now he's kind of like working with like the anti-church people. So she texts him like, where is everyone? And then uh, a couple women like fancy dresses walk up to, it was weird because they walk up to the back of Julian's car. And I'm like, who are these two women? And one uses like the the window, so it must be like t- tinted, or maybe it's not tinted, whatever. But she's like on on the floor in, in the back seat. So they like use a reflection to put on her lipstick or something like that. They they leave. Roscoe calls her, and she's like, "Where are you?" And he says, "He's like, I don't know." He's like, "They just dumped us out." This other lady grabs the phone. This uh, other girl that we've seen, like the girl and the, the, this guy, and um, she asks Leanne if she's okay, and Leanne's like, "You left your posts." And so this girl, and I say girl because she's like a teenage, you know, whatever, late teenage, something like that. I don't remember. Or I'm, I'm just, I'm horrible with ages. So she's like, the, the police cleared the park. They shoved us all into vans and it, it happened fast. She's like, a neighbor must have called in a complaint. And Leanne's, she knows better. She's like, no. You know, she's like, this was the church. She's like, they're, they're closing in on me. She also mentions, you know, she she found one in the house, and the girl's like, "Well, we're at some bus station, you know, across the city." So Leanne tells her, "She's like, get in the cab, get as many back as you can." And she cuts her off by, um, she cuts herself off by staring across the street. There's this man in his trench coat with his back to her, and then Leanne says that she's like, "I can handle it for now." So later, she's still in the car. She tries calling Sean. It goes to voicemail. She calls Julian. Goes to voicemail. The streets somehow it's getting like a little foggy or smoky and this guy like walks up the sidewalk he has like one of those little hot dog carts he's on his phone you can hear him he's he's like yeah i'm on a street where you told me to go so does that mean he's not really a hot dog person that he's he's working for them leanne looks around the the, the car she finds a, a pen in the glove box then she slowly gets out she starts like crossing the street. She's just like keeping an eye on this hot dog dude. You know, he's, he's not looking at her, paying her attention. And then as she's like, just walking, this biker zooms, zooms by like a, on a bicycle and he like almost hits her. So, you know, she has to jump back, but then she looks back across the street, you know, where the hot dog dude, he's gone. Just as his cart sitting there, he like went around somehow, which I don't know how he did that, but he comes at her from behind. He's like, knocks her down and he kicks her in the side. She gets up and you know, starts running. He comes after her from behind and then she turns on, jabs him in the side of the neck. There's this jogger that, that ran by just moments earlier. She like must have heard commotion. So she comes back and she goes to the jogger and she's like tending to him and she just kind of looks at Leanne and then she's like, like, I'll call for help. She's like, you know, you'll be okay, whatever. And then, um, as she's like looking at the at this dude on, on the ground she kind of reaches for this jar and it almost looks like it has like some orange liquid or something like that that's like in a decided a hot dog cart where the, the ketchup and mustard goes this little like you know metal pocket thing so she's obviously working with the church people too so she turns and she splashes the liquid at, at leanne's face I, i'm not really sure what it was and Leanne like stumbles back, you know, and she's at the car. She's like, you know, feeling behind her, reaching for for the car handle, but you know, she I guess she can't see. The jogger crosses the street. Um, Leanne gets the door open. She climbs in the back seat. 
the jogger grabs her ankles, you know, when she's trying to climb in there, Leanne gets a lucky blow and kicks the jogger like hard. Like, I don't know if it was like in the chest or in, in the face. She falls back, and, like smacks her head against the pavement. And then something falls on, on the ground. Leanne tries reaching for it. I, at first, I thought it was her, her phone, but I it was, think it was like the key fob for the, for the car. And when she once goes to reach for it, it like kind of slides under the car. So she goes to close the door. Jogger reaches in. She slams the door on her arm like pretty, pretty hard. And, and and she's able to lock lock the door. The jogger like falls to the ground. She's screaming. Other people show up and they, they start like kind of pounding on the windows and everything. Leanne climbs up to the front, burn, just like lays down on, on the horn, you know, trying to get attention. They they scatter and they like jump in this white van because you know they're they're trying to avoid like other like regular people seeing them. So like all that noise, you know, people are gonna like look out their windows like what the heck is going on. So Leanne catches her breath and she's just ah! she like lets out a scream. She's, there's a, a bottle of water in 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 the, the the car, so she like splashes you know some some water on, on her eyes and everything, and her her face is kind of red. So it was, it was something. It wasn't it like acid or anything like that, but it momentarily blind her. You know she couldn't really see, and then she kind of like looks in the rearview mirror, and there's someone in the back seats like you will burn like the rest. She like turns around, but there's really is anyone there. So it was like in her mind. Then she. Uh, hits the, the car's start button, but the display says that the key is missing. So that's what was under the car. She like looks across the street and there's this mailman just like standing there, kind of like sorting through the letters. He kind of suspiciously looks at her. So now it's like at a point, it's like, is everyone working for the church or is this an actual mailman? And he's just like, you know, whatever, like what, what, what dude? So she gets out, reaches under the car, gets back in, starts a car, but she has no idea what to do next. You know, she doesn't even know how, how you know, she just starts like hitting things and, you know, she doesn't know how to, how to move the car out of park. This Cadillac like pulls up and there's like four people inside. Two girls get out of the back. They kind of like pigtails and they're almost like <laughs> kind of like Puritan outfits or whatever. And then this uh, super tall dude He's like all in black. He gets out. It's like I don't even I don't even think you could see his face because it was like just cut off the camera. He starts walking towards her car. He like leans. Oh no, you do see his face because he leans close to the, the the driver's window. You know, she's just like looking straight, like not even looking at him. And he's like, Leanne Grayson, you must come back. Do you understand me? It's what's best for us all. And she, you know, again, she's just looking forward, won't even look at him. And she kind of like very slowly, like you know, tiny, like shakes her head, you know, just like, like, no, he continues like, we don't want to hurt you. And then she like kind of looks up and she's like, you can't hurt me. She's like, I'm not who I used to be. I'm something more. And then she starts the car up again. I missed when she turned it on, maybe because she couldn't start it. And or no, she got the key back. But she turns up, she starts the car up again. So she's like, and there's nothing that any of you can do to stop me. The dude just kind of like draws a symbol like on the windows, like a triangle with like some lines on a size. <laughs> so it's like an isosceles triangle, I don't know. And then he like walks back to his car. Leanne goes back to trying to figure out the controls, whatever. And then she starts coughing because I, th I think some dudes like started burning leaves around her, like around the car. It's, it's, I don't know when this happened, but you know, the smoke is like coming in through, through the vents. And then, uh, you know, so she's coughing. And a bunch of birds fly out. They, they, pigeons. At first, I, I was like, well, who are all these, what are all these birds? So a bunch of, I episodes pigeons, so obviously they're pigeons. They start flying after like the hot dogs in the street because there's a bunch of them knocked over, I guess. I didn't see that happen. And then uh, this other dude grabs a crowbar 
and starts he's at the back of the, the hatch of the car like trying to like pry it open leanne is able to get the car in reverse pins the guy's legs between the cars and it, the as it bumps the other car behind it the car alarm goes off and and he's just like pinned there he's like Argh, like screaming and as she drives forward a little bit hits the other car in front of people are, are still like in in the, in the streets there's like pigeons landing in the street and there's just a bunch of them like overhead then they start swarming there uh, there's all these people there they start swarming at the people and, and she opens up the, the sunroof to get some air this dude tries grabbing her it almost looked like it was the same guy um it might have been the guy that was in the house or whatever but then uh, the pigeons start attacking him and so he like falls back and you know she goes back in she closes the sunroof and the guy like you know reaches in his fingers get like smashed a little bit and he like yanks him out more people are getting attacked the hot dog guy gets like an eye pecked out so this is like just pigeons like what the heck like killer pigeons cadillac finally drives away leanne gets out and like screams at the people and they start running pigeons fly around overhead and she makes it to the front door and she just like stands there and, and it starts raining at this point this cab pulls up three people get out and so it's, it's uh, the guy the girl and and roscoe and and the girl's like leanne it's like what happened and she's like it's over and the girl's like did they hurt you and she's like we need to be smarter than this the the dude's like you know, says that it won't happen again. And she's like, I know. And she's like, you can go. So I guess at this point, maybe she's not concerned or maybe she figures like, oh, you know, they're not going to come back tonight after getting attacked by birds. So she goes inside, cleans up the, the smashed vase. And then she remembers like the, the cake. She runs to the kitchen. It's burnt. So she throws it in the trash. In the bedroom, you, you see, uh, I, I, it might have been Sean's office. Maybe it was converted because there's like – there's like a, a, a pulley thing over the bed. There's like one of those hospital table tray things that like rolls. And, you know, she, she gets a, like a pitcher of water ready. She lines up a bunch of like, you know, prescription meds and bottles. Ambulance pulls up. Leanne stands in the hallways with the flowers. They, they wheel Dorothy in. She has kind of like this, this big shawl, like jacket on. She got big sunglasses. It's like, who are you, dude? He's like, you act like you're like some, you know, old timey, actress or something like that leanne's like hello dorothy she's like i'm happy you're home she's like i got you these you know talking about the flowers and then uh dorothy just says to the dude wheeling her take me upstairs and sean's like i'll, I'll show you where it's at dorothy takes off the sunglasses and she just has a, like this blank expression sean like looks at leanne and doesn't say anything it was almost like he like shrugged at her like with his eyes because he's just like mm. and then julian you know finally comes in with jericho and a baby carrier he's like oh it's a long goddamn day I was like, okay, dude, you just had to stand there while Sean's filling out paperwork, you know, because he, he was getting yelled at because he was drinking from a flask. He was not supposed to be drinking on the premises or whatever. So it's like, oh, boo-hoo, you had a real long day. Well, you know, Leanne's getting attacked by all these, you know, crazy church people. So she, she goes to her room later. She puts the flowers down, and then, she you know, she looks out the window. There's someone out there, and, you know, they, they, they put up both hands, and she just, like, shuts the curtains. So I, I wasn't sure who was out there, if it was a church person or, or if it was, the, like, the girl, one, one of her people. Dorothy and Sean are in a room because you can hear them talking, whatever. Julian's, like, walking in the hallway, and she just, like, stops, and Leanne's, like, behind him. She's like, what did the doctor stink? And he, Julian's like, well, with spinal injuries, it's hard to say. You know, he says, best case scenario, if she keeps going with the PT, she'll be able to regain most of her mobility. Worst case, and he's like, I don't even want to think about it. So Leanne's like, well, she's home now. You know, she'll get better. We just have to be there for her, right? And Julian's like, best of luck with that. And he like goes to leave. Sean comes out of the room, and Leanne's like still at the end of the hallway. And she's like, how is she? And he's like, resting. Then she's like, I should go see if she needs anything. And Sean's like, I don't think that's a good idea. And she's like, why? 
And he's like, because she needs space from all of us. And Dorothy calls out, shut the door. So he's like, good night, Leanne. And he goes back in. So Leanne, like, she's not too happy. The lights kind of, you know, flicker a little, just a tiny bit. And in the basement, a light bulb pops. And then there's a crack on the basement floor. It just, like, goes to the wall. And then you see from the street, it continues, like, the crack, like, outside on the sidewalk and, like, into the street. So it's like, man, don't get Leanne mad. <laughs> so that was the first episode. Uh, it, it almost feels like not a whole lot happened. But, you know, we, we just see Leanne. You know, we, the people are obviously still going after Leanne. And we, we see her having to deal with, with them on her own. And, you know, so she was able to fight them off. And, you know, she does have some power, ability or whatever. But it's not like she just completely wiped them out like no problem. You know, she she got injured and had to put up quite the fight. But it's just kind of interesting. And, uh, you know, she did say she's changed. So um, maybe she's getting more in control of what she can do. How the heck can she do it? I have no idea. So hopefully we'll get some more answers over this. But uh, so that was the first episode. Um, by the time you listen to this, the second episode is out as well. So it's up to you if you want to get ahead. We'll talk about the second episode uh, of the season next week. Then with Star Wars, The Bad Batch, season two, episode four, Faster. So it starts off at Sid's place. You know, she comes in, she goes up to Omega and Wrecker. Um, Tech is like, you know, in, in the back. And she's like, I got a job for you guys. And Omega's like, uh, Hunter and Echo haven't, you know, returned from their mission yet. Tech chimes in. He's like, well, I wouldn't say transporting 50 cases of Nerf Nuggets a mission. He's like, it's also not a good use of our skill sets. And Sid's like, well, this mission is perfect for your skill sets. He's like, especially you, muscles. And she's like, you're going to be my security crew. And Tech's like, uh, we'll require a more in-depth briefing than that. And Sid's like, there's no time. The shuttle's waiting. So they go to some place called Safa Toma. And Sid says that, you know, it can be a little rougher on the edges, luckily for you know, look for them, she knows where they're going. And if things get dicey, that's where they come in. They head to this like big arena. There's something called riot racing. So it's almost like pod racing, but they're like smaller vehicles. And uh, they're also, they're allowed to shoot. It's kind of like anything goes. So Sid has a racer in there and this, uh, the driver is named Tao, T-A-Y. And I wasn't sure if it was an O or a zero, but it's Tao. He's a droid. And Tech's like, you're your ringer is a droid and Teho, he has like this big attitude. He comes out, he talks about being, you know, being able to make split decisions out there. And he asks like, like, Oh, you want to challenge me? You know? And tech's like, well, I do not have enough information about the sport to determine at that at this time. So Teo's working on, on the speeder tech comments that these speeders aren't built for the racing speed or durability. And Teo said, that's why they modify them. Then this alien dude comes up, Malegi, and he's got like a couple goons with him. He he comes in, he's like, Sidarian Scaleback. So that's I guess his full name. He's like, It's been a long time since you or since I've seen your shiny claws around Safatoma. So then they, they start kind of going back and forth or whatever like that. Then he wants to make another wager uh, with his champ against Sids. So the race begins. Tech comments because of the unpredictable nature of the race, he can't determine who who will win, and so it's it's going on whatever. And in the final lap, Malegi's dude 
uh, and this other, they they get behind Teo and they they like launch claws, like a claw and a cable, onto Teo's ship. So he's like locked in the middle, and then from Teo's ship, like this electric like buzzsaw, whatever, starts like cutting into his engine or whatever like that. So then when they come out of these this tunnel. The, the ship like takes a tumble just like dies for it and it just like tumbles whatever and it's like just completely smashed with you know tail smashed too so tech they're, they're looking over like the wreckage and tech says speeders in bad shape but you know some of it is salvageable and sid's like ah the, the speeders at least of, of my worries so wrecker is like oh, i found tail or parts of them whatever so then Malegi shows up to collect and she's like yeah i'll pay just give me time he's like that's not how it works you know that so then him and his goon kind of, kind of move forward. She tells Wrecker and Tech, she's like, this is why I brought you here, not for conversation. So they, they step forward and things are getting tense, you know, their hands near their guns, whatever. And Omega's like, wait, how much does she owe? And Leggy's like, more than you've got, kid. And Omega's like, well, we're not done yet. And he chuckles. Omega says, one last race. If you win, we pay you double. If we win, we get Sid. He's like, you don't know what you're getting yourself into, kid. Tech and Wrecker, they kind of agree. They're like, yeah, you know, what are, what are you talking about? What are you doing? So they, they tell Omega they don't know anything about racing, and she says that they're going to hurt Sid if they do nothing. So Malegi, she's like, do we have a deal? And Malegi, he agrees, and he's like, oh, we'll race tomorrow. He's like, and I'll keep Sid as collateral. So they start working on the ship, and Teo, you know, getting him fixed up and put back together. Malegi brings you know, he's, he's like, has Sid in his lounge or whatever. He brings her a drink. He's like, to old times. And she's like, no, not, not to old time. She's like, I've changed. And he's like, sooner or later, those outcasts you're hanging with will get to know the real Sid. And she's like, I might surprise you. And he's like, I doubt that. So they, they get Teo put back together. So he's going to, um, he'll be racing and, you know, the race is coming up. Uh, Tech analyzes the course and the patterns of the racer, and Tails is like, you're doing it wrong. He's like, calculations won't help you. It's all about strategy and skill, of which you have zero. And as, as he starts walking away, Tech's like, I believe yet your strategy is flawed. It would be wise to divert power to the reflector shields away from your primary weapon system. Tail just laughs. He's like, ha ha. He's like, that's an amateur mistake. He's like, if you want to win, offense is the best. He gets slammed. Is like just speeder slams, like hits the wall, and this other racer the driver just walks out and, and kind of like shrugs, whatever. So, I wonder if it was on, on purpose. I think it was. So, probably Malegi paid some dude to, to do this. His tails and in, in pieces again, whatever. Because then Malegi walks up and he's like, Oh, Safatoma's a dangerous place. Sid uh, tries saying that, you know, oh, Tao's fine, whatever. And Malegi's like, Tough luck, looks like a forfeit. No race means you lose. And then Tech's like, you know, he after he pauses for a second, he's like, I will be the racer. And Wrecker's like, he's like, oh, he's like, what? You're serious? So the race is going to begin. Malegi's driver takes the lead. Uh, he's like, he has guns on the back of his his speeder thing. He's like shooting at people behind him. Tech's at the, at the the end, and you know they, they keep commenting. He's supposed to be. He's, it's in race, and he's got to get get further up ahead. He says he's like, I know what I'm doing, and Tech says that he needs more speed. So as they're flying, he kind of goes back to like the pit. He jettisons all the weapons. He says that they're just slowing him down, and then he calls back, and he's like, Now I have increased my speed and maneuverability. So he asks Omega to pull up the tunnel schematics before because there's at one point there's like three tunnels you can choose, and they always say you know to not go to the left because it's, it's a, a death trap, so you're supposed to avoid it. So you want to know why. Omega says that there's a large part of track that's missing, 
And Tech's like, well, it's also the shortest. But Omega's like, it's too dangerous. He's like, the speeder can't make the jump. And Tech takes, uh, anyways, he takes the left. This other person behind him, which I was, I don't know if it was, it was Malegi's like main uh, driver, racer, or someone else. He follows him, uh, goes right behind him. So at the point, Tech does some tricky stuff and he's able to make it. But I guess the other one didn't because it's just, so he's out. And then Tech's uh, getting shot. You know, he's passing some people. He's getting shot. He's he's losing his shield. And then and this other tunnel, whatever. He's they're about to get boxed in. They're like, you know, don't get let a box you in or whatever. And maneuvers around and whatever. They come out. Just like, you can't really see the winner is Tech, and everyone starts cheering. So they go to get Sid. Malegi's goons are like kind of tense and everything like that. And Malegi's like, a deal's a deal. His racer is like at, at a bar, like, you know, drinking, you know, in, in the room. And there's a blaster right next to him. He kind of eyes it. So it's like, you know, he's going to try to do something. Sid says to Tex, she's like, that was some racing. She's like, I guess you, you know, I owe you one. They're, and they're like, yes, you do. She's like, oh, I'll, I'll make it up to you. So they, they go to leave. And Malegi like stops the racer from drawing his blaster because he goes reach it and he like holds his hand out and he calls up she's like hey the three of you because you know uh sid walked out first he's like you could have walked away he's like that loyalty is admirable but with sid it doesn't always go both ways watch your backs and then they leave so sid apparently has a bit of a, a past and you know maybe she's not as trustworthy as they might think so will there come a day where she's gonna turn on them and uh, we'll have to wait and see. So uh, it was a, a fine episode. Is interesting choice that you know we only had the three. We didn't have Hunter or or Zero, but I, I guess it's fine to sh- again to mix things up. You know, just like how last week was was just about Crosshair. So it's it's kind of good to let the others kind of step up. But, I mean, this obviously was was more about tech. You know, he really took the lead on this one. Rucker didn't really do much, and Omega, all she did was calm, you know, diffuse the situation and, and get the race, you know, arranged. But it was, it was kind of interesting that they were able to give Tech more of the spotlight rather than have, you know, all of them do, you know, take their parts. So I, I kind of like that. All right, with National Treasure, Season 1, Episode 7, Point of No Return. Okay, I... I think I like this episode. I'm trying to think about it. It's like I, I, I should have. I, obviously, I should have thought about this before. But it, it's good. It seems like the, the you know sometimes the the episodes they they kind of like have their highs and lows. Uh, sometimes you know I I can tolerate. There there's lots of eye rolling moments and and you know I I kind of joke about it, kid about it, but in a nice way you know because I I do like the show. And uh, this one this episode. It takes a, I mean, it's called a point of no return. And that I think there's a couple meanings, interpretations for that. There's one thing that Jess does, which is a point of no return, potentially. And then there's something that I feel like the writers kind of did. And it, it gets to the point where it's like, wait, you, you can't take that back. So uh, I'll, I'll try to remember to address that after I do the recap. So it starts off in the FBI building. There's a recording of Jess. <laughs> so she's supposedly having this conversation with, with Peter Sadusky. And she's like, that tea you're drinking is laced with poison. If you want the antidote, you'll tell me what I came here for. And Peter's like, the secret dies with me. <laughs> Which was kind of like a funny argument. And so, so then uh, Agent Ross supervisor is like, he says a, a judge is sending over an arrest warrant. He's like, good work. And she's like, I'm, I'm not so sure about that. And he's like, well, you know, you, 
checked out the witness. He was credible. And she's like, yeah, he was Sadusky's nurse for two years. And she's like, yeah. And, and then he's like, remember when I said I believed in you? You can do this. So I still don't really care for the supervisor, dude, but whatever. In the van, Tasha wants Jess to think about things and not let the adrenaline rush affect her thinking because she wants to go to Mexico to talk to Salazar about the treasure and probably about her her dad or, you know, getting killed. But if she goes to Mexico, she can't come back because of her, her status in, in, the, in the country. And so she says that, you know, she and Orin are perfectly capable of going to Mexico and just like, yeah, how do you plan on getting the location of a box from Salazar? She's like, neither of you even speak Spanish. And Tasha's like, you know, let's be real. You cross the border. You can't come back. And Orin asks, he's like, well, can't Ethan just do lawyer stuff? You know, there has to be something for emergencies. And just like that there is, for her to legally leave the country, she'd have to apply for advanced parole. And even if she got approved it could take months salazar knows where treasure is and she's not going to let you know him get in her way and stop her from proving her mom was right and tasha's like but how are you going to do that and jess is like well we have the same enemy billy he's like he won't want her to find a treasure either so you know i'm going to make an alliance with him so they, they, they plan on, on going with her. You know, Tasha's like, well, we're going to go with you. She, and Jess is like, I can't ask you to do that. And Tasha's like, good, because we're not asking either. She's like, we're coming. They pull up to her apartment, and then they see there's FBI clearing out their stuff. And Tasha says, she's like, there's no way. She's like, I scrubbed everything from the Graceland. There's no way they can link uh, you, know, you to that or to Governor's Ball. And then she, you know, <laughs> she goes online. She looks up the Judicial Database and Public Document Archive. She finds an arrest file, like, right away. At large, apprehension requested. Part of an ongoing investigation related to the murder of Peter Sadusky. So all this information is just easily available. At San Antonio Courthouse, Billy's, like, waiting for her court hearing. There's, you know, other people, like, in, in this kind of, like, lobby waiting room area, whatever. She starts talking to this other lady dressed up who was at the reenactment. So she was guilty of preaching the truth. Nobody wants to hear the real history of the Alamo. And Billy's like, I do. Then that nurse dude calls Casey. He said he delivered it. And she says, oh, you don't sound too happy. And he's like, well, I did what I was told. And she's like, sending payment now. He's like at a bar or something like that, puts his phone down, gets a a Bitcoin notification for $150,000. Jess is uh, taking food from Ethan's cupboard sort of over there, like getting supplies because they're going to drive down to Mexico and everything. Tasha's like monitoring online. She's like, they're still clearing out the apartment. Ethan walks in. He, he calls out to Oren. He's like, have you seen Jess? Because I need to talk to her. And then she sees him. She's like, well, I need to talk to you too. And he's like, about what? Tasha checks on Oren because uh, you know, she, she's going to leave them alone. He has a, a bunch of shoe boxes marked in case of, like in case of tornado, in case of hurricane. And she's like, in case of zombie apocalypse? And he's like, that could happen. And then there's one that's in case Jess ever needed to, to use her pack suitcase, which the FBI took because we've we seen them. So inside the, the shoe box, there's like shoes in, but in the shoes, there's like rolls of cash tucked in. And Tasha's like, you sold a lot to get all of this. And he's like, mm-hmm. And she's like, there's also a couple burner phones. And he's like, see, I do listen to you. So he had all this plan, just be, whatever. Ethan tells Jess that Liam's not the bad guy that they, they thought he was. She's like, oh, I should have known Billy framed him. And he's like, Billy framed you for murder, and the FBI fell for it, so you shouldn't be so hard on yourself. And she's like, he could have died. And you know, she wishes that she could go tell him how sorry she is, but she has to go. And he's like, go? Go where? Billy is still talking to that lady, and she's like, 
you know, there must be another well. And the lady is like, well, the well in the courtyard is the only one. Unless you're talking about the original Alamo. Here's eye roll moment number one, possibly. <laughs> Jess tells Ethan that she knows that going to Mexico is crazy and he's going to say, don't go. Um, he's like, uh, you know, two weeks ago, I would have, but after everything lately, I, you know, you, I, you have to go or whatever. And she's like, well, if you see Liam, and he's like, don't worry. She's like, I'll catch him up. And she starts walking out and he calls to her and he says that he wants her to find that treasure. And he's going to lawyer up and clear her name. It's like, oh, really? Now, are you? Ross is looking through some stuff. And just suitcase, she finds uh, Beware of Salazar note. She's um, told that Ethan wants to talk to her. And she, he's, so he's saying this is his lawyery, lawyering up stuff, I guess. He says that he's known Jess his whole life, that there's no way she's capable of murder. And Ross is like, well, you know, sometimes people aren't who you think they are. You know, she's like, you seem like a good friend. And, but we have her confession on tape. She plays the recording, which I don't know if she would do that or should do that. And then, uh, you know, so Jess also said to Peter that he won't die alone. She's, she's like, I'm going to have tea with your grandson next. He lives, his apartment's just a few blocks away, right? And Ethan's like, it's a fake. And she, Ross is like, it's been analyzed by our experts. He says that, he's like, just got a perfect score on her English ACT. First try. Drove me nuts because I missed one question. Usage error. Further versus farther. He's like, the right word here is farther since it's a physical measurable distance. But that's not what the fake Jess on your tape said. Ross is like, so you're suggesting grammar as an alibi. He's like, you never heard of Let's Eat Grandma? And she's like, no. It's like, come on, hasn't everyone heard of this? He's like, you forget to put the comma in and grandma's a goner. Because it's supposed to be let's eat, comma, grandma. And then uh, he's like, where did you get this? He's like, it was Billy Pierce, wasn't it? She's British. They use further instead of farther. <laughs> so he does that off the top of his head. And then she's like, actually, it wasn't Billy Pierce. Then he's like, then who? And she's like, I can't divulge details of an ongoing investigation. <laughs> but she can play him a tape confession. <laughs> So Ethan just leaves. This dude comes up to Ross. He says they identified the lady in the USS kid security footage. It's Billy Pierce. And she was just arrested at the Alamo. Liam goes into the clue room. It's like trashed. And and then well, I don't know. He finds like a pink earbud. He's like, Jess. <laughs> I don't know what that was all about. Uh, then Casey manages to get Billy out. They're like walking out of the courthouse thing, whatever. And she says, like, I can't believe Jess lied to us about the Alamo. And Billy's like, she didn't lie to us about the Alamo. Just which one? Outside, Agent Ross goes up and introduces herself. Billy's like, oh, are you the reason they detained me for so long? Must be a big case for you to come all this way. Because she says she's from Baton Rouge, the office. Ross says, yeah, and we're, we're looking for a fugitive, and we're hoping that you can help. Her name is Jess Valenzuela. And we know you've had contact with her. In fact, I have pictures of you and her at the USS Kid. She starts to pull them out. But it's like, why would you tip her off on what you have? It's like, why even mention the USS Kid? Just to see, is she going to lie about that? Like, what is Billy going to say? Oh, I've never seen her before. But Billy interrupts and she's like, you don't have to show me pictures. I know who she is. She's like, she approached me for some business advice. And I said she could shadow me for a few days. But no good deed goes unpunished. She's the reason why I got arrested. Wait, so... How what is her? How is Jess responsible for her getting trapped in a well? Like, what what is her excuse for being in that well? So now she's a fugitive. May I ask what she did? I'd be like, no. 
But Ross is like, she's a murder suspect. And Billy's like, wow, seems like I dodged a bullet. And then she's like, well, good luck. She gets an SUV. Then from the back seat, she opens the window. I didn't quite catch this at first, but then later I'm like, ah. She's like, do hope your next lead doesn't take you further away than home. Did you catch that? She said further, not farther. Liam walks down the street and practically jumps back when he sees some police officers. <laughs> He's like freaking out. But I, I guess they probably have footage of him maybe at the, the governor's ball because Tasha didn't do her computer magic to clear him. So he's got to watch out. But wait, the, I okay, hang on. Um, at the U.S.-Mexico border, <laughs> here's another eye roll moment. Jess says, you know, because they're like, this is, you know, last, last moment. So this is like the point of no return. One, right, you know, part of the title. So Jess is like, just keep going. They get up to the, the, the guard, whatever, he asked for the passport. And when a dude looks at Jess, he's like, Bienvenido a casa. And Orange, like, after, you know, they left, she's like, what, what do you say to you? There's literally a sign that they drive under. It says, Bienvenidos a, and underneath that says, welcome to, and then Mexico. So she's like, he said, welcome home. <laughs> It's, but I don't know. So Liam goes to Squeaky Pete's and he looks, he goes like in the back of the hallway. There's like all employee numbers like written on the wall next to his phone. So he goes to call Jess, gets her answering machine, which at first I'm like, why? He's probably used to calling her from his phone. He doesn't have his phone. So he doesn't know what his number is. I don't know what people's numbers are unless if they're not, you know, they're in my phone. So then he, he's, he leaves the message. He's like, oh, I was really hoping to hear your voice. He's like, where are you? He's like, I need to know you're okay. Then some dude named Maddie, so he's like, he's like, oh, I've been trying to call you. Liam's like, yeah, I lost my phone. He's like, have you seen Jess? And Maddie's like, who has? She missed her last four shifts. And he's like, oh, and some guy named Ethan came looking for you. And Liam's like, did he leave a number? And he's like, no. He's like, what, is he your manager or something? And Liam's like, no. Then he's like, I, I know it's not Friday. He's like, but I really need my check. And he's like, I need to get a new phone. And Maddie's like, wow, you have no idea. And he's like, what? He's like, your little stunt in Graceland, it's all over the internet. And he's like, all these people out there, they're here to see you play. And Liam's like, really? He's like, yeah, really? So Liam kind of like looks out at there and he's like, like thinks about it. But then he, he shakes his head. He's like, no, he's like, I have something more important to do. Maddie's like, I'll give you a grand for one song, cash. He's like, okay. So then he goes out there, starts playing. Then he stops. He's like, uh, I want to try something I've never done before. He's like, I wrote this about someone that, well, I guess you can just hear it in the song. So he starts singing. He uh, wouldn't want nobody else calling me up late on a Friday, talking all night long in the driveway. You could say my mind's made up, blah, blah, blah. blah. It keeps going from there. And then, but there's like a lot of women in, in the, the crowd. So I guess, I mean, I'm not a judge. I don't know if he's a good looking guy. To me, it seems like the mustache would be kind of throw off, but maybe some people like that. No, no offense to anyone out there listening with a mustache, but it just, I don't know. And, but so here's the thing. Um, what I was thinking about before, if he's all over the internet, all these people are there for him, they know that he sings or used to sing there, then I guess the police must not, I mean, maybe the, the, hey, no one's made that connection that, hey, this is that guy that's in the Graceland video. So it could this could backfire on him. Just in Mexico, they're like this little market block thing, whatever, by his park. And just picks up this like black suit jacket too. So they can go prison visiting hours are tomorrow. So she's going to like dress up or whatever. Then she sees some dude playing guitar. She's like, my mom used to play that song for me all the time. Then she's like, 
you know, I think Tasha asked her how she's doing. She's like, yeah, you know, it's weird being back. Everything seems so familiar, but also not. She goes up to street vendor and in Spanish, she asks if she has a shirt to go with the jacket. And the lady's like, I speak English. If you're more comfortable with that, she's like, I have a shirt in the back. And Orin's like, uh, how did she know? He's like, your Spanish sounded perfect to me. And Jess is like, well, I guess I'm too Mexican for the U S and too American for Mexico. I, I thought it was kind of silly. I don't know. Uh, Liam finishes his song, the crowd cheers or whatever. Then he sees, <laughs> part, he sees a nurse dude, like standing in the back. Of, uh, he's kind of glaring like a creep in the back of the crowd. The light kind of flashes in his eye and he, he like his head kind of hurts. You know, he probably his concussion or whatever like that. He gets a, a flashback to getting dumped and then like in the water, but just like, wait, is nurse dude there with Casey? Was he involved in it? And then, <laughs> someone walks by like in front of nurse dude and he does kind of like a Jason Bourne. I think Jason Bourne did it where all of a sudden just like that, he disappears, <laughs> you know, it's just a whoosh. He's completely gone. No sign of him anywhere, but it's like, maybe, maybe he just like ducked down in the crowd real fast. Um, so Liam like runs out the back and then nurse dude is just like casually leaning against like this alley wall. He's like, oh, I want to talk to you in private. And, and Liam grabs him, slams him against the other wall, presses his forearm to his throat. And he's, he's like, like, you are with that redheaded woman. He's like, you helped throw me in a river. And he's like kind of choking. He's like, I, I saved you. I pulled you out. And there's like more of a flashback. And you hear, come on, Liam, bud. He's like, come on, stay with me. Keep your eyes open. So he lets the guy go. Then he's like, why, why did you save me? He's like, Billy's gone too far. I thought she'd just beat you up for the journal. I didn't think she'd try to kill you. And now, now she's framing just for the murder of your grandfather. And Liam's like, wait, my grandfather's murdered? So the nurse dude, I forget his name. I don't care. Who Does anyone care? I mean, unless he becomes a bigger part of the show. But he, he just wants to help Liam find Jess. He doesn't know where she is, but he says Billy will. And he thinks that she's in trouble. And he's like, I know we can help her. And Liam's like, we? She's like, forget it, man. She's like, you were the mole all along. I'd be an idiot to trust you. He starts walking away. Then he's like, hey, you might want this. He like tosses him his phone. He's like, it fell out of your pocket when we loaded you into the SUV. And he, then he like tries turning on. He's like, uh, sorry, I didn't have a charger. <laughs> it's like, who doesn't have a phone charger? I mean, maybe it's an Android or maybe he has an Android. I don't know. So uh, just... Tasha and Oren are at this motel and it looks pretty nice because they asked the vendor if, if they knew of a hotel nearby and, and Oren's like on a budget or something like that. So it's, it's pretty nice, nice motel. Uh, then someone knocks on the door and they kind of panic. They're like, already? And Oren goes to answer and they're like, Oren, what are you doing? He's like, relax, my dudes. Ethan, it's Ethan. They're like, how'd you find us? Were you followed? And he's like, Oren texted me and I was super careful. He's like, I even booked my flight with my, my buddies, Miles. His plane miles, whatever. So he, fig he, he figures that they'd be safer together, watch each other's backs. Uh, he's like, Billy made a deep fake. And Tasha guesses incriminating Jess, right? And he's like, yeah. So Tasha's like, well, I'll see if I can access the audio file. But it's like, wait, how the heck did she know it was an audio file? I mean, unless I don't know anything about But I thought like a deep fake, that also could be like a video. Isn't it like, like the Tom Cruise videos or whatever? There's like, I don't know. But it's like she automatically knew it was an audio file. Ross is talking to her supervisor. Um, he's like, Billy Pierce made a very specific usage error in their meeting. Further versus farther. That matches the one in the tape incriminating Valenzuela. It's like, she's British. And our supervisor dude, he's like, well, what's her motive? And Ross is like, everything she has points to a, she's like, I know this sounds crazy, a treasure hunt. 
And he kind of sighs. And she's like, I believe Valenzuela is innocent. He's like, you have a taped conversation. That's as good as a confession. But is it really? I, I thought it, it doesn't, it's not admissible if it's not recorded with consent. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, so she says that, you know, it, it could, but if she could just request more time, he like interrupts and he's like, I'm trying to help you out here. He's like, I know what happened in DC. I know you made the wrong call. I know you don't want to arrest the wrong person, but Valenzuela is guilty. It's like, again, how do you know that? He's like, we just, we need to get her off the streets. He's like, you know, then we can get your career back on track. You're a talented, talented agent. He's like, make the arrest. So this is why I don't like this guy. Cause he's just whatever. At first he's telling her like not to investigate things and then trust your instincts. And now he's telling her not to trust her instincts. Somehow Tasha access the audio file. It's like, oh my goodness. She's you, YouTube. I'm like posting the wrong YouTube videos because I'm not learning anything. I'm not learning how to do any of this stuff. They all listen to it. She's like, well, at least we can confirm Billy's really behind this. And, you know, she has access to all, all the new technology out there, voice mimicry, deep fakes. She could have Santa Claus saying he hates Christmas if she wanted. So she's like, the woman is ruthless. And just like, that's it. That's how we'll get Salazar to talk. She says she was going to try to get Salazar to align with her against Billy, but now she has a better idea. She's going to use Billy as a threat. Salazar killed her brother, but again, did he really? How did she know that's a true story? Did they look that up? So she's like, Salazar killed her brother. If she finds out where he is, she'll have him killed. And Ethan says, unless he tells her the location of the third box. At the prison, Orin is like tweaking Jess's outfit with like a needle and thread because he's like the master tailor. Tasha says that she couldn't find any digital footprints on Salazar. There's like nothing there. And Ethan's like, yeah, I tried digging too. You know, there's no, no records, no previous idea or anything. And the long-haired, gray-haired dude, dude is like sitting in his car watching them in a parking lot. It's like not that far away. So I have no idea how he found them, but that's not going to be good. Inside, Jess is told Salazar hasn't had a visitor in 20 years, uh, she's like, he's a bank robber. She's like, I want to tell a story. And the guard's like, oh, you're wasting your time. No journalists are allowed. Then she's like, I'm not a journalist. Salazar killed my father. And she like takes off, her, she's wearing fake glasses. She takes off her fake glasses for some reason. I'm really Superman. <laughs> I don't know why she did that. So she's like, I'm here to get answers. And then he like looks at her. He's like, okay, fine. But I have to warn you, people come, you know, looking for answers all the time. They're usually disappointed by what they find. Salazar is told he has a visitor. And um, Jess is like, hola. So Salazar, like, you know, he looks down, you know, he's got his long hair, whatever. He sees a necklace and he's like, Jessita? Jessita, whatever. He's like, could it really be you? And she's like, how do you know my name? Then he's like, it is you. It's me, your papa. And she's like, that's impossible. And in, in English, she's like, my father died in a fire trying to get away from you. And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, I got out of that fire. I'm Rafael, your dad. Your mom, Manuela, is my wife, and you're my daughter, Jacita. And she's like, really? Because last time I checked, your name was Salazar. He's like, I was arrested for breaking into a bank, but not to rob it. They assumed I was Salazar, but you didn't know I was here. You came to talk to Salazar. You're on the treasure hunt. She's like, I came here to confront the man who killed my father, and you have the nerve to pretend to be him? He says that he's not pretending, and he, he starts singing the sleep, precious child, whatever that song. He's like, we used to sing that to you all the time. It was from my mother's hometown. And she's like, Dad? He's like, yes, it's me. I see your mother gave you the obsidian relic. 
And he's like, she didn't give me anything. And he's like, how did you know the relic was in Vieska? And she's like, why didn't you try to find us? And he's like, I had to keep you safe from the real Salazar. He's like, I knew your mother would come around. I'm glad that she told you all this. And Jess is like, she didn't tell me anything. So he, he's like, I don't understand. He's like, where is she? And Jess is like, she died last year of cancer. So at this point, it's like, okay, is this really Salazar or is this her dad? Because she has a video of him younger. Yes, that was 20 years ago. And yeah, his hair is like really long and he's, you know, he's got facial hair or anything like that. But I think she would be able to tell. I don't, I don't know. So at this point, it's like, is this really Salazar pretending? But then how would he know right away? I mean, is it because she had the necklace? So it's still questionable. But then he's, he starts choking up. He's like, I should have been there. And she's like, yeah, you should have. And said, you choose to be here under an alias a thousand miles away. So she, she's believing it's him. So maybe we should too. So she's like, we had no idea you were alive. He says that she doesn't understand. The treasure is more important than any one person's life, mine or your mother's. And Jess is like, really? She's like, I was raised to believe that nothing is more important than family. And he's like, that's not true. This treasure is thousands of years of lost heritage, your heritage, my heritage, the truth of Malinche. Your mother believed in it too. She's like, my mother never mentioned a treasure, but she did tell me that you are reckless, good for nothing. And she's like, and I didn't believe her. He's like, you can't give up on the treasure. And you know, he's like, you can still find it. It was my duty and now it's yours. She's like, you haven't listened to a word I said. And he's like, I went to the well at Viesca, the uh, Lapis Lazuli relic or something like that was missing. He's like, treasure hunters got wind of it and the daughters of the plume serpent moved it. He's like, I've had 20 years to figure out where it was hidden. He's like, go to the place where the first queen of Spain met with St. Jerome and passed notes. And she's like, I'm done. And then the guard's like, that's enough. Because she says like loudly. And she like hangs up the phone. He keeps talking. Somehow she can still hear because usually you can't hear anything. He's like, you made it this far. Then you're like me. He's like, don't quit. You have to finish what you started. And she's like, you don't know me. And he keeps yelling, you're like me. Don't quit. He's getting dragged away by the guards. She fills in the others as they, they sit in a, in a park. Ethan's like, I can't believe your dad's been alive all these years. <laughs> And she's like, I can't believe that I did exactly what my mother warned me against. And she says she should have just, she should just confess to a murder that she didn't commit. She can get extradited back to the, you know, the U.S. She's like, what's the worst that can happen? Ethan's like, uh, consecutive life sentences. Orrin asks, he's like, well, what about the treasure? And she says that the treasure ruined her life. She's like, Billy can have it. And then, you know, she leaves her necklace behind and she gets up. Ethan grabs the necklace, goes after her. He's like, you can't quit now. He's like, you've come too far. She turns to him. She's like, no matter what I do or accomplish, there's always a weight sitting on my chest asking me if I'm living up to what my mom sacrificed for me, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. So he says that she was born to do this. And he holds up the necklace and then she takes it back. So he gives her a better pep talk than that, but you get the idea. So they're sitting around a table, like out in the open with all their books and stuff. She repeats what her dad said. The first queen, St. Jerome met. Ethan's like, well, that's impossible. He's like, they never met. St. Jerome died in a monastery in Bethlehem in 420 CE. Queen Isabella wasn't born until a thousand years later. Orrin's like, hear me out. What if the two names are an anagram? And Jess is like, he's right. Not about the anagram. She's like, my dad was probably talking in code because the guards could hear them. So he didn't mean they actually met met means something else and ethan's like <laughs> he's like met meet connect intersect and she's like intersect yes that's something an intersection a place where two streets meet 
<laughs> oh goodness tasha looks on a computer she has wi-fi in, in mexico she has whatever mexico city has a street named after queen isabella liam's like sitting alone somewhere his phone pings his his phone is charged up so he has voicemail from from jess first one's from a night at the ball she's like you know where are you whatever she's like can't can't we finish what we started and she's like find me so of course you know he needs to find her even though it's totally out of context he tries calling her back goes straight to voicemail so back in mexico jess tells tasha try san geronimo Geronimo or Jerome in, in Spanish. She's like, that's how he's known in Mexico. Bingo. There's a street. They intersect. And just like, what's that building in a corner? The University of the Cloister of Sor Juana, formerly the San Her Jerome, whatever, convent, known for having been the home of a nun named Sor Juana in the 1600s. So Ethan can Google too. He's on his phone. He has service there. He says that she wasn't just a nun. She was also an accomplished playwright and a poet. So she was hailed by modern scholars as the first feminist in the new world. And Tasha's like, maybe she was a daughter to Plume Serpent. Jess says that this has to be the place her dad was talking about. Orrin says, you know, hiding a treasure in a convent is the best, best hiding place. And they're like, they're like, what? He's like, all of the treasure hunting conquistadors were dudes, right? So no, no men allowed. Her dad said to go to a place where they met and pass notes. So they go and there's like a tour. So they're, you know, they're going around the church and they have to figure out the, the passing notes part. So Juana's write, stuff that she wrote, um, her writings were burned, but some were recovered. And also like some of the instruments she played, like this organ that was refurbished in the 1970s. They hang back as the, you know, the rest of the tour goes out. And they're like, she liked to play music. It has notes, like musical notes. And then just like, you know, the Masons hid clues in plain sight. Maybe the sisters hid clues in plain sound. Could the relic be hidden in the organ? But it's been played for hundreds of years. You know, or I think Tasha's like, you know, how could they know that someone wouldn't accidentally open a secret compartment? Jess is like, well, maybe it's a specific combination of notes, a song that only the daughters knew. So then Ethan starts playing her father's lullaby, whatever. And, um, and you know, He's singing the, the Duerme part and tries to find a note that Tasha tells him. She's like, oh, step aside. Because, of course, she took 10 years of piano lessons. So he's like singing a note and she's like, you know, trying to find it, starts playing. And then uh, the the organ can actually be heard from outside. So Oren's going to like stall him. He's like, there's a flock of nuns coming. As they're playing, the camera like zooms inside the organs, like zips around, all this stuff like that. And then outside, one of the big pipes kind of like rotates and there's this like secret compartment so just reaches in she finds a wrapped relic uh the nuns are they get up to Oren. the lead nuns like trying to get past and he's like trying to you know he doesn't can't speak spanish he's just kind of like dancing in front of her like moving whatever blocking and then they, they finally get in they walk up the center and as the others are walking out and they're, they're like holding this wrapped box like in her hand and she's like what do you have there and just is like she just come she's just honest she's like I'm sorry. She's like, we're not stealing it. I was told to find it. And she unwraps it. And just is like, Sor Juana was a daughter of the plume serpent. And she like holds her necklace. And so am I. The nun just looks at her. And she's like, we've been waiting for someone like you to come for this. And it's just all in Spanish. She crosses herself. She's like, the burden is no longer mine. And she hands the, the relic back. She's like, go with God. And they walk out. And they're like, Oren's like, what just happened? At the motel, they have all three of the relics. 
So they're like, Let, let's open them. So they lay out all the pieces. X marks the spot. There's like this tree by a river, but they don't understand. Like that doesn't look mean anything. There's like must be some code written there. So Justice like, I don't recognize any of the symbols. And Ethan says that he she probably doesn't want to hear it, but her dad probably could read the map. So we see Liam like signs an autograph for a girl. The nurse dude comes up, like gives him a beer. He says he likes a new song. He's like, it's about Jess, right? Liam's like, just to be clear, he's like, I'm not here to be friends. And he's like, somehow you're the only chance I have to save Jess. Nurse dude thinks it might be better if they got to know each other. And he, Liam's like, you know, two days ago, I thought you were my grandpa's nurse. Now I know you work for Billy. It's like, you can't be trusted. So I know you pretty well. The dude says that, He's like, I get that, but you know, you're gonna have to trust me. Just goes back to the prison. Um, Raphael, I guess it's Raphael. He's told he has a visitor. He like smiles. He goes to the the, the window, the glass. He sits. He looks up. It's Billy. And and then she's like, Well, look who came back from the dead. So I guess it really is Raphael. So that's the second point of no return. He's he's alive. They can't back, well, they could, but they're probably not. Jess goes back to the van. She's like, we have to leave. She's like, I just saw Billy in the lobby. So they must have figured out Salazar is here. And now she's going to see that it's not Salazar, it's Raphael. And she's like, I got to do something. Tasha's like, Jess, no. She's like, I know that look in your eyes. And you know, Jess is like, Billy tried to drown Liam over a journal. If she figures out that my father's in here, he's, she's going to find a way to get him killed. There's only one way to stop her. She's like, I'm going to break him out. I'm going to break out break my father out of prison. <laughs> and that's, that's where it ends. Um, so yeah, jailbreak. I, I had no idea how they're going to do this, but, but remember they did that escape room. So she's probably going to figure it out somehow based off of that. I don't know, but I do like the show, even though it makes me laugh sometimes. All right, with Velma, they actually showed two episodes again. I was like, which is good, but you know me. I'm not going to get into that. Season one, episode three, Velma Kai. Daphne pulls you know away from the... So Daphne and Velma were kissing. She pulls away like nothing happened, and she's like, well, good luck finding your mom. And Velma says to herself, she's like, what the heck just happened? So Velma's like in a daze later that night. You know, she's like thinking about that. And then the next morning, she gets ready for school and everything like that. She's like eating flowers instead of breakfast, whatever. She gave the cat, the, you know, the Sophie's, the, the pregnant waitress that her dad's having an affair with, like her prenatal medicine or whatever. So she narrates, uh, you know, let's talk about something that we, I've avoided long enough. She's like, the only thing you've ever really wanted to know about me is Velma Dinkley. Then her dad's like, step out of it. Cause they're at breakfast and whatever. So at school, she runs up to Norville's locker and she's like, guess what? She's like, guess, or she's like, guess what Daphne gave me? And he's like, is it mononucleosis? Because I saw you two kiss last night. And she begins to describe the heat of it, whatever. Uh, but then she says that, you know, they, they kiss no big deal. And he's like, you possibly being gay is a huge deal. For one, it reduces me to a cliched straight best friend. And she's like, we only kissed because Daphne was trying to stop a hallucination. And she's like, she you know, gave me my mom's cold case file. And the last place her cell phone pinged was at Fred's house. He says that's huge, but not Velma might be gay huge. And she's like, well, someone's sexuality isn't a big deal unless you're a celebrity or Pemmer and Patty. Then she asks, she's like, you didn't tell anyone about the, the kiss, did you? Norville's dad, he's a school guidance counselor. He comes up, he's like, mazel tov on your first kiss, Velma. 
And she's like, you told your dad? And Norville's like, well, he is a therapist. She's like, he's a high school you know, guidance counselor. He's like the lowest kind of therapist there is. Norville's like, well, you'll feel differently after today. He's running a mental health assembly to help the students process the murders. So the kids do not care for Norville's dad at all. The principal, Norville's mom, she jumps in and she's like, well, in addition to spending three minutes on mental health, the school board is requiring that all girls attend a woman's self-defense class to protect themselves from any further serial killers. And Velma, like, she's like, why don't the boys have to attend a don't murder girls class? And the principal says, because I only have $50 in the budget to combat centuries of toxic masculinity. And she's like, the woman's self-defense class teachers are, she introduces Daphne's mom. And Daphne's like, mom's? So she's like shocked. Velma grabs Norville and says that she's like, we're going to go talk about to Fred about my missing mom now. So she like darts out of there at the prison. Fred asks his cellmate, who is the, the wanted poster guy. He's because he's like ready to do a tattoo. He's like, well, why don't you give me one of those tattoos? That's actually secret clues about how to escape prison. Dude says that like, I forget where he said he, he learned, but he can only do butterflies and Confederate flags. Some dudes come in, tell Fred that there's a like talking meatloaf here to see him. He's like, Velma. So Velma's waiting with a uh, Norville and apparently she put a couple bean bags in her bra because so she's, she's still attracted to Fred, even though she had her first kiss with Daphne. And then she starts hallucinating. She sees like Daphne there, like in like, I think it was like lingerie or something like that. And then, you know, she talked about like, use like practicing kissing her on her hand with Fred or something like that. So she's seeing like Fred's face on her hands and she's just like kind of thrashing around and people are, are freaking out, whatever. And then Norv's like, should I kiss you? Whatever. And she's like, no, she's like, I'm already confused. And she, she's like, what, why are you confused? And she's like, just make me laugh again. He's like, but a kiss might awaken some buried passion or something like that. He's like, why should we deprive ourselves of that? She starts laughing and comes out of it. And she's like, that, that was good. Then later during his car, she got banned from prison because of her thrashing and everything like that. Uh, so then Velma sneaks back into the gym for the self-defense. One of Daphne's moms says that the key to it, uh, you know, so there's like the, on a whiteboard, you know, yell, fall down, go limp. So to demonstrate, they pre-selected Daphne and Velma. So Daphne's going to be the victim and Velma, because she's gruff or whatever, is going to be an attacker. Daphne says that she has to go to the bathroom. Velma's like, I do too. So Velma says that you know, maybe she should talk even before rolling around in a self-defense class, because in case she's confused too, and Daphne says that she is, she's like, you know, yesterday hanging out, you know, with you dealing drugs, you know, made me realize how much I missed our friendship. So her question to Velma is, she's like, so do you like me? And Velma's like, uh, I haven't really thought about it. And, you know, you were dating Fred until he went to prison. And she's like, do you like me? Daphne's like, I asked you first. So they started arguing over like who kissed who, whatever else like that. And then they're like, well, I don't like you. And I don't like you either like that. And so they, they're, they're mad at each other. In class, Daphne is supposed to be the victim, but she gives like this flying roundhouse kick, knocks Velma out. One of the moms says, she's like, there's no room for violence in class, not until tomorrow. They're like, well, what's tomorrow? They're going to be competing in the all-Crystal Cove women's self-defense class tournament, which is why it's supposed to be a like Cobra Kai, whatever, the all-Valley tournament. And you see on a, on a whiteboard, it says like first prize, college scholarship, second prize, nothing, third prize, detention. <laughs> Velma's like, how will fighting girls help us from getting attacked by guys? It's like, what is first prize, a gun? And one of the moms like, it is now. That's a great idea. And she crosses out scholarship. So the point is to determine who is the least vulnerable girl in the school. Norville goes to talk to Fred. He talks uh, about therapy. Uh, Fred's like acting kind of weird or whatever. Norville's like, let's talk about the moms. And you know, he mentions 
Velma's mom going missing at his house. Fred starts getting nervous. He's like, oh, I think visiting time's over. He's like, uh, you should probably go. Fred Selmy comes over and says that the relationship between old friends never works out. It's always one-sided. Norville gets upset at this and tries like shoving him, which isn't a good idea because the guy, you know, he hits basically kind of hits a guy. The girls get ready for a tournament. Velma goes up against another girl. Velma wins. Daphne is fierce against her opponent. So they're both moving up in the brackets. Norville is talking to his dad. He got a black eye from prison. And his dad talks about like the key is uh, getting a, like a, a cardigan that makes you look like schlumpy and like uh, it, it kind of catches people off guard. So he gives him his, his cardigan. Velma talks to Daphne again in the bathroom. It's like, are they really going to fight instead of talk? Daphne says, well, I asked you a question. You still, you know, I'm still waiting for an answer. Velma's like, well, that's fine. She's like, you know, she's like, I do like you like that. And Daphne gasps. Velma's like, asks if she's scared of having feelings for a girl. And Daphne's like, please. She's like, I have two moms. She's like, I was baptized on the set of Ellen. She's like, I just have a lot more at stake than you do. And this other girl comes in the bathroom and she's asked Daphne, why are you talking to that? And so Velma's like, oh, I get it now. And then she like makes some petty remark to Daphne and they're back at bickering Maddie competitions back on. Fred gets uh, pulled out. He's like, he has another visitor. He, he's like, I got pulled out of mosque because Norville's there. <laughs> he's attending mosque. So Norville's wearing a cardigan now and Fred is totally buying that Norville's a therapist. He's like talking to him and everything like that. And you know, he, he talks about the feeling of abandonment when he was four and he had to fly this hot air balloon by himself or something like that. Then you know, he says that um, for, or Fred mentions that 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 night, or when his dad bought their house, he he said it was a or it was a dump, so he wanted to burn it for insurance money. But the truth is, on a night that they were going to burn it down, his father stood him up, just like on his birthday. And then some Indian lady pulled up, which is uh, Velma's mom. So Norville's like, "What was she doing there?" And Fred's like, "I don't know." He's like, "My dad told me not to pay attention to women over thirty-five." So Norville determines like this isn't helping, and he's gonna go get. He gets ready to leave, but the wander poster is like, "Uh, uh-uh, sorry." He's like, "You're not leaving until you help me deal with my passive aggression." And there's a. He's like, "Or I can just wait in line, and just you know, or just be mad and think with, just think it over, or think about it, or whatever with all these other guys." There's everyone's like lined up because they want to talk to Norville. Tournament begins. In the first corner, weighing at 110 pounds, a social media reach of 12,300 is Daphne, the ginger, jackhammer, um, Blake. In the other corner, weighing in at how dare you, and with a social media reach of she says she's too good for it, Velma, Indian middle name, Tinkley. <laughs> There's like very like one person clapping maybe. So Daphne punches Velma in the gut and it hurts her hands. And she's like, what are you, a robot? Is that why you never shower after gym? Velma reveals that she has Daphne's journal and she's going to perform an audio version with voices and everything. Daphne begs her, she's like, please don't do this. Velma's like, you hurt me, I hurt you. So she, in the microphone, she talks to everyone. She's like, you all think she's a perfect girl next door, you know, but she's so messed up. She has daily sessions with her school guidance counselor, Lamont, to discuss her issues. And then she just does a mic drop. And it's completely silent in the gym. Velma picks up the, the mic back up. She's like, guys, come on. I just made Daphne vulnerable. I win. She's like, now laugh as we watch her precious popularity fade away. This one girl, I think her name's Olive. She's like, why would we do that? Mental health is no joke no matter how lame Lamont is. And then the crowd starts cheering for Daphne. And she like kind of smiles. And we see Velma take a hit. She goes like flying across the gym, like makes like a, a hole in the wall like a little impression and there's like this like blood stain where her head was Lamont talks to Velma 
in his office says that the only way she's going to avoid suspension is if she apologizes to Daphne. And Velma's like, I have to apologize? Like, Daphne kicked me so hard, my, my tubes are tied. And Lamont says, yeah, but you hurt her feelings, which is way worse these days. So he asks if she'll tell him, like, you know, why did she do what she did? And she's like, nope. And, and good luck trying to get into my head without your cardigan. It's like, Norville told me all about your little trick. So he reaches for, what do they call those, like rock water things, whatever. You know, you know, he, and I, I don't know if the music actually comes up, but you, you hear this like meditative music come on. Her eyes just like kind of gloss over and she's like, fine. So she's in a trance. She's, she's talking. She says she knows she has to talk to someone about her feelings for Daphne, but her mom is a person that she would talk to when she was confused. And talking to anyone else feels like a betrayal, like it's admitting that she's actually gone for good. Lamont says that he sees that, but he's like, hasn't not talking to anyone, you know, got you, you know, further from finding her. So basically by not talking to Daphne about her feelings that, you know, she's made a bigger mess in his car. Norville is driving Velma. He tells her that it seems like, you know, Fred isn't connected to her mom's disappearance. She asked Norvell, she's like, can you just wait here or whatever? Cause she's gonna go talk to Daphne. And he's like, sure. It's not like I have anything else to do. But then he realized he was supposed to have a, a group session at the prison and they're all sitting there waiting and they're like 10 minute rule. We leave. And, and then Fred's, basically he gets mad. He's like, why is everyone thinking abandon me is okay. He like throws a chair against the wall and they're like, Oh, I guess it's, you know, rioting it is. So there's going to be a prison riot. Daphne's like writing in a journal. She gets a text from Velma to meet her outside at the door. Velma says that she came to apologize. And then it's like, she expects Daphne to apologize for saying that Velma wasn't popular enough for her. She's like, I never said that you did. And then they start arguing some more or whatever. And then Daphne's like, do you even know why I'm talking to Lamont? And she's like, no, I just skimmed you know, your journal looking for the sexy parts. So she says she was talking to him because she's searching for her birth parents. And it's, it's brought up a lot of feelings of abandonment for her. And Velma's like, oh, it's like when my mom went missing. And Daphne's like, exactly. When your mom, mom went missing, you abandoned me too. And Velma's like, only after you got hot and ditched me. So it's like, then they kiss and it was amazing. But she said that she didn't like her. So she got freaked out because she thought that Velma was going to go away again. Velma admits that she does like Daphne, but is still super attracted to, to Fred. Daphne's like, whoa, you do need therapy. Velma says that she thinks that what she really needs is a friend. And Daphne's like, well, I do too. Velma's like, uh, and maybe a friend who, and she's like, no, let's just keep it simple and try to be friends again. Velma's like, yeah. She's like, I can only obsess about one woman. And that's, you know, my, my mom and you know, trying to find her. So Daphne asks if they can hug it out, you know, friends hug, boobs touch, no crotch. They hug but they both go red and they're like, okay, maybe let's just shake. Daphne goes inside. Velma realized Norville's gone. She's like, what the hell Norville? Now I have to walk. And she literally, or she's like, I've literally never been madder. She lives right next door to Daphne. One house, like right next door. The prison's on fire. Lamont tells Norville that he hates to say it, but he's not ready for the cardigan. He's like with medium power comes medium responsibility. As he hands it back, a card falls out. Crystal Cove insane asylum. And it says, your voices say, spend your money here. Nor <laughs> Nor Norville asks, why is that in there? And Lamont kind of stammers. He's like, oh, he's like, I have a friend who works there. Uh, doctor, uh, bad excuse. Norville puts the cardigan back on and he asks, he's like, why do you have that card? And he's like, son, there's something I need to tell you about your mother. So another mystery. Velma looks at pictures of Daphne. She sighs and she puts like purple lipstick on her hand and she gets ready to start kissing. 
there's end credit scene. Fred, the wanted guy, and three others are running through the woods. The wanted guy's like, look, there's a cabin up there. We can ask for directions. And Fred's like, ask directions? He's like, I thought your nickname was the thief, not the puss. They all laugh. Then he's like, fine, suit yourselves. He like runs off. So Fred turns to the others and like, okay, now who has a, a phone so I can call my driver? And they just look at him. He's like, what, you want to use one of your drivers? And then, freeze, police. So they're like surrounded. They all start running, and Fred gets tased. And that, that's the end of the episode. Okay, and then season one, episode four, Velma makes a list. Velma's talking about how, you know, she didn't always fit in. Uh, the town celebrates two weeks with no murders. Then this lady comes running up. It's like, they, it's like I found another dead girl killed exactly the same way. Everyone screams and runs. The mayor's upset because they made a banner or whatever. So then he's like talking to everyone. Good news is since the new girl was murdered while Fred was in jail, Fred is exonerated and is going to go free. His dad mumbles. He's like, we just had his room turned into an ice skating rink. So now the bad news, the real murderer is still on the loose. And, he, and he's like, any other question? Velma has one. And she's like, how come no one cared this much when, about my missing mom? The crowd kind of boos her because you know, she's loud and whatever. And so then the sheriff comes. He, he says that you know, after looking at all the evidence, he determined that the murders all have you know, one thing in common. The girls were hot. And the mayor says that you know, they don't have the money to protect every student. So instead, they've decided to rank the five hottest girls at the Crystal Cove High and give them personal police detail. So they, they're going to call it the Crystal Cove Hope Initiative, hotties only, puke faces excluded. Velma complains about a couple old white dudes making the list. So the mayor tells her, like, okay, why don't you do it? And she's like, I'd rather die. And everyone's like, <gasps> and the mayor's like, that's insensitive, especially since you have no concern over being murdered for being a hot girl. So Daphne later thanks Velma on behalf of the hot girls for making the list to give another hug, just friends. But then um, they, they kind of get red or whatever like that. So Velma asks uh, Daphne to make a list. She's like, I can't decide which of my friends might get to live. She's like, plus I hate making lists. Velma says that all the other girls compared to Daphne just look like a sack of potatoes. So, you know, she, she doesn't even know where to begin. And then the other girl, I, I think it was Olive, you know, she's, she's like, oh, be careful with the list. She's like, these bitches will do anything to get on that list. So you see there's a lot of stuff like they're just trying to get her attention and everything. But then uh, we see Fred gets released from prison. Then he meets Velma at the diner. He's like, why am I here? So she wants his help to rank the five hottest girls he finally agrees he goes into like mode you see his calculations and you know geometric symbols and stuff like that he like makes up uh comes up the list daphne olive gg becca and kimmy and the reason kimmy was selected because she has big cans daphne's mom's um put a lock on her door in her bedroom to keep her safe so she you know she can't leave norville visits they just like throw him in there because he claims he's writing an article about the hot girls and stuff like that but really he wants to know what velma sees in her so he can try to emulate it so he's really trying to find out like what it is about her and everything that, that velma likes someone throws a rock in her window daphne goes and yells she's like you know how hard it is get the vacuum out but there's like no one absolutely no one out there and Norville's like, it's not a rock either. It's a, it's a geode from the crystal mines. Velma turns in a list that Fred made. She says it'd be better if they taught the girls not to be a slave to the patriarchy. And the sheriff's like, no one likes a know-it-all. And Mayor's like, that's it. Teach the girls not to not be hot like Velma. For the four girls uh, go to Velma's for uggo lessons, as they call it, because Daphne's locked up. So like Rapunzel, her moms won't let her out. Daphne uh, breaks out of her, her room you know, she picks a lock. She goes with Norvell to look into the geode. They go to the Crystal Cove Historical Society. 
crystal mines were discovered in the 19th century because this one miner tried killing the, another miner with a rock and he found the crystals, but then it turned out they were worthless. But then came the 1970s, people abandoned their old beliefs, you know, religious beliefs for the healing power of crystals. So Crystal Cove became a boom town. By the 1980s, the crystal fad ended. It was replaced by aerobics fad and then the cocaine fad. Daphne says that, you know, she looks at this picture. She's like, I feel like I've been here before as a baby. Then she's like, what if the geode was thrown by my birth parents? It's like, maybe they're also trying to find me without my mom's finding out. Velma, um, and so, uh, Norval has been making a list. I'll get to it later. Uh, Velma unveils the girls to the mirror. You know, they're all under this tarp. She pulls the tarp, but they look exactly the same. And Mira's like, ooh, daddy, likey. It's like, what? But then it's like, Velma's like, what the hell? And Alice says that it wasn't about deprogramming. It was about slut shaming. She's like, no woman should have to change who she is or how she dresses to not be murdered. And she, she tells Velma, like, her definition of womanhood is more restrictive than theirs and stuff like that. So then we see Velma has, like, blue hair green elf ears green lipstick she's got like this weird eye makeup and it's this pink dress like she's in the car with with sophie the waitress and she says that she has no clue in how to be a woman in a way that doesn't judge other women so sophie's like so you picked monster and she's like how dare you call me a monster you monster and she says she's trying to sh uh, show support for all the beautiful ways women express themselves even the ones that she thinks are stupid but then Sophie starts going into labor. They're stuck in a carpool lane at school. And, you know, because she's like, call an ambulance, but an ambulance won't be able to come because all the cars are blocked there. So Velma has to get the cars to move. She sees, she looks out, she sees like the police detail. She runs up to him. The sheriff thinks that she's a serial killer and just gets ready to tase her, but she explains what's going on. Everyone um, just crowds around because everyone, you know, wants to see a, a woman giving birth in front of a school. So then Velma asks Olive and the others to help get them to move, to you know, give them something better to look at, you know, so to muster all of their sexiness and lure everyone away with a sexy dance. Olive says that she's like, Oh yeah, then you'll just silently judge us. So they's like they're like, our sexy dance is for ourselves. So Velma's like, fine, I'll do it. She tries doing it, it's not working. And the sheriff's like, did I accidentally tase her? Because, you know, she's, he thinks she's just like convulsing or something like that. This other hot girl's like, if you're going to be sexy, you have to own it. And she's like, you look like a white influencer trying to choreograph your own dance instead of just stealing one. So then um, they talk, Velma says something about how they wear shorts that don't, they don't want to wear shorts that don't, that don't cover up all their booty, but she does want to cover her whatever. So they're going to each do their own equally invalid dances or something like that. Fred had read this book about the Mystica woman or something like that. And so now he's looking at them differently. He thinks like Velma broke his brain. He doesn't know what's going on. He's in his car. He sees Velma like punching through the crowd to clear a path and his calculations come up. Then he thinks leader plus brilliant plus knows herself equals hot three question marks. Daphne says that, you know, she's definitely, you know, at the, out by the cave. She's like, I've definitely been here before, you know, crystal mines. Norville thinks it's a bad idea. The killer may just be trying to trick her and, you know, use this as, as a, a track, a tra as bait or whatever. And she says that she knows it's dangerous, but she loves danger. She's like, her mom's taught her everything about being safe, but she's still danger prone Daphne, you know, like selling drugs and possibly walking a serial killer's trap. Oh, so the list that Norville made was act dumb, um, be crass manipulative and compelling backstory he, he writes excited to see where this goes but at this point norvell throws a list away he's like i hate danger so i can't mimic your personality to make velma like you he's like yeah that's why i've been hanging out with you so he's just gonna leave and she's like you can't leave now and he's like there's no world in where i ever saw i'm ever solving a mystery in an abandoned amusement park and she's like 
well, well, fine, whatever. And he's like, well, I'm leaving. It's either now or never, whatever. So she, she goes with him, but inside the mine, there's like, you see a gloved hand and like some man chuckling. So was that the killer? Is that her? Why? I don't know what the chuckling was about. So I don't think it was necessarily her parent. At the hospital, Sophie says that, you know, it's like, oh, we've had our differences, but, you know, Velma really saved the day and her like janky nails, like helped cut the umbilical cord or whatever. And she's like, I, I hope my little girl grows up to be just like you. And Velma's like, wow, thank you, Sophie. And Sophie's like, on the inside, at least. In her room, Velma's like practicing twerking in front of the mirror. She ends up like kind of bumping it and busting the mirror. She's like, nope. She gets a text from Fred. It's like a photo of him. Like, and she's like, oh. And he's actually outside her window with flowers. She's like, I think he meant to send this, you know, to Daphne next door. He's like, no, wait. She's like, I want you. He's like, that book you gave me opened my eyes to, you know, your inner beauty. And he asked, he's like, do you want to go to Handstuff Point? Her calculation, she looks at him, whatever. Handsome plus popular outside is less than rude plus dickhead inside equals problematic. So then she's like, you know, I'm glad you found out about inner beauty. And it's like, up until now, I found you irresistible. But now I just find you gross. And he's like, what? How? He's like, you know, I'm rich, right? So that's the end of the episode. But then after credits, Gigi's like in the mirror. She's got like high platform boots. Her hair is done up differently. She's like, if Velma can be herself, so can I. She's wearing overalls with like a like kind of like a mesh shirt underneath, blue lipstick and everything. She walks out of the bathroom. Norville runs into her and they have a moment. So they're going to like each other. So what does that mean for Velma? So, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm debating about covering it. I, I'm okay with watching the show, like I said last week. You know, it, I, I, there's some things that I think are just too much, like too forced. I do like the idea of interpreting things differently and just seeing where they're going to run with it, like what they're going to do. And there is a couple parts that, that kind of make me chuckle, just the absurdity of it. But I don't know. So we'll we'll see. Maybe I'll, I'll continue covering it because, I mean, if they're doing two a week, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be over soon, but I also feel like it's, it's taking up a big chunk of time maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Okay, then there's that 90 show. And, you know, I, I, I really would have loved to have watched more and cover more of, of this, the, the series, but it's Netflix, so they drop them all at once and... I only had time to watch one episode and I thought it was like, well, maybe I could save it for next week. But then by next week, it's, it's going to be like, you know, what, almost like two weeks late or, or after the fact. So I wanted to at least talk about the, the pilot episode and my thoughts on it. So I really enjoyed that 70s show. I really, really liked it. Uh, maybe it's just the, the era of the 70s and, and all that. And because I'm an old, old fogey or whatever. And just just the the music and and just the, the characters, the actors, you know, it was just a, a lot of fun. This show obviously is a sequel taking place in the '90s, and my fear. So while the first episode, you know, we do get some cameos, and I'll, I'll, I'll I'm going to spoil the first episode and give you all all the, the details over there over this. I just worry that the rest of the series is going to focus more on these new kids. There's nothing wrong with new kids, new characters, and all that. But, you know, when you watch a show like this, it's like you want to see the familiar faces. And, and yeah, as it's, it's you know, been made clear on, on trailers and teasers and news or whatever, is the other characters are going to have appearances, you know, but I feel like they're probably just going to be cameos. You know, we're not going to see them necessarily every single episode or maybe not more for 
a minute or two. So we'll see. Um, so as far as can I recommend a series, I, I feel like the show has enough of the vibe or that the pilot episode had enough of the energy and vibe of the original that makes it interesting, you know, compelling to watch. I just don't know if the rest is on the same level because as, as they pull back, yeah, you're going to have uh, Red and, and Kitty. Maybe that's enough to, 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 you know, pull you in for the nostalgia. But I just feel like it, it's possible that maybe it's because like some of the jokes were a little eye rolling. And, but then there's other parts that were, were really good and fun. So let's just get into it. It starts off point place, Wisconsin, hello, Wisconsin, July 3rd, 1995, 11.47 a.m. Location, Kitty Foreman's Kitchen. So we see Kitty dancing to Groove is in the Heart. At first, I'm, I'm like, I don't, I'm not sure about this. And then, you know, she's she's making a sandwich because she's like dancing with the mayonnaise, like the Hellman's. Like, it's like, who, who, is this like a normal thing? Does she always do this? It just seemed weird. And then Red, Red Foreman comes in and he's like happy and he starts kind of like dancing up next to her. And I'm like, what is going on? Red happy. But then it's like, probably because there's no kids around. So of course he's happy. And then, you know, they're talking about some stuff, whatever. And she's like, was that a car door? Whatever. And she, then she runs to the door. She runs. She's like, I got it. I got it. I got it. And she opens the door. It's, it's Eric, Eric Foreman right there. Uh, he, you know, he doesn't get a chance, chance to knock on a door. She's like so excited to see him and everything. And, you know, she's hanging on to him or whatever, big hug and all that. And then he walks up to red and he's like, dad, he's like, son. And he's like, hug. And they're both like, nah. Then this girl walks in. She's like, hi, grandma. Hi, grandpa. So it's Eric's daughter, Leah. Leah. So he named his daughter after Princess Leah, obviously. Uh, Red congratulates her on her basketball team or whatever. He's like, I hear you have your, your mom's jump shot and your dad's last name. Because, <laughs> of course, you know he's got to make digs at Eric every chance he gets. Uh, you know, So Kitty closed the door. They go sit in the couch and stuff like that. So now I was like, wait. Is Donna not there? Did just Eric drop her off, whatever. But then in a bit, Donna comes in and she's like, Oh, don't don't worry, honey, I got it. She's carrying a bunch of luggage in the cooler and everything like that. And she just goes like straight upstairs. So what we find out is so basically uh Donna and Eric, they're living in Chicago, and Kitty hasn't seen Eric since Christmas because like early, you know, she's like smelling his hair and he's like, uh, what mom, are you smelling my hair? Whatever. Red tells uh Donna that Eric sent them a review from her new book. That you know, they they read it, and she's like, "You read my book?" And they're like, "No, we read the review." <laughs> I was like, okay. Donna is still calling Kitty Mrs. F. Kitty really wants Donna to call her mom, and she's like, "Oh, maybe someday." Uh, we find out Eric is an adjunct professor now at a university, and he says that that means he has a permanent parking space for his bicycle. He's like, "That's what happened when your course is super popular, Dad." And he's like, the religion of Star Wars? And he's like, this this country's going to lose the next war. And Eric's like, not if it's an intergalactic battle between good and evil. So Eric is like all about Star Wars. Leia comes in and she says she's going to shoot some hoops. Eric tells her um, to tell her grandparents what they're doing this summer. She starts, but then Eric like cuts her off. And he's like, we're going to Huntsville, Alabama for a father-daughter space camp. And she's like, just the two of us. For two weeks. So obviously she's not excited. After Leia goes out. Red's like space camp. He's like do you get to put on a Buck Rogers costume? 
and you know he's like no he's like only if you whatever at the super deluxe package which i got <laughs> kitty's she's very observant she's like i don't Leia doesn't seem like she wants to go and you know i i think she might be at that age where she needs space what I, here it comes right eric's like i'm giving her space camp and then they like kind of groan or whatever and donna's like he's having a hard time with leia it's a tough age 38 so he says that he just knows that he's gonna love her and stand behind her no matter what and red's like that's a great idea because when you stand behind your kids it's easier and then they all say to put your foot in your in their ass yeah we we know we got it so leia's shooting hoops in the driveway and she hears someone screaming you ought to know Lannis morissette this part was just very weird so she goes next door and she's actually looking into some random girl's window and it was supposed to be Donna's old room. So she's looking in there. Who just walks up to into someone else's yard and just spies on them. And then she gets, gets busted and she like ducks down, you know, whatever. And, you know, so this girl like opens the window. She's like, what are you doing creeper? And then she's like, Oh, Oh, nothing. Just standing outside your window, watching you sing and wondering what it would be like to be you, which is just like, again, that's creepy. And so they're kind of talking, whatever. They don't even introduce each other. And, and But then Leia says, you know, they're talking about Alanis Morissette. And she's like, oh, I got a bootleg from Chicago. And she's like, you know, you should hear it if you, if you want. And, and she's like, well, why don't you go get it? And so later, um, after she gets the bootleg, she explains that, you know, this was her mom's old room and her dad lived next door. And so this new girl, her name's Gwen. She's like, I bet they boned in here all the time. And she's like, you know, sometimes I, I still hear it at night. And she's like, goes on the mattress, and then she's like, "Sorry." She's like, I, "I love making people uncomfortable." And she's like, "Oh, you're very good at it." So she asks Leia, like, "What's what's she up to in Chicago?" And she's like, "School." Um, she's like, "Yes, yeah, school. School's a big one." Uh, she's like, "I'm a pretty big deal in the debate club, and that is not up for debate." Yeah, I'm not popular. Gwen, she's like, "Oh, that that's good because you know popular people suck." And then we find out she has an older brother because he comes in. He's like trying to shave his chest or something like that. And uh, Gwen has the music really loud. And he, he call, I think he calls it like vagina music or sad vagina or he calls it something. And and he's like almost nicked a nerp or something like that because he's trying to shave his chest. And it's just, he is not like one of my favorite characters. I'll, I'll say that. So the next morning, Kitty's talking about how great it is to have a house full, and she's basically hinting how you know how sad it is when when after they leave and then in winter and or whatever. Leia comes in and is going to leave right away. She has a nose ring, and Eric's like, "Whoa!" He's like, "How did this happen?" She's like, "Oh, I got it from Gwen." And then he's like, oh, "Question: Before you leave, who is Gwen, and why is she poking holes in your perfect face?" And so she says she lives next door, which is where she's going. And they're like, you're not just going whatever, all this stuff like that. She's like, I'll just be 20 feet away. And he's then he's like, okay, fine. But just be back for fireworks because it's the 4th of July. She's like, I'll try. And he's like, uh-uh, uh-uh. He's like, as Master Yoda said, and they're like, oh. As Master Yoda said, do or do not. There is no try. You know, all this stuff like that. Then she leaves. And Red is like, ah, teenagers. He's like, I feel for you, son. On the other hand, payback's a bitch. He's got a big smile on his face. So then uh, the the kids are they're playing Uno in Gwen's basement. There's this annoying kid named Ozzy. I don't know if he's supposed to be the Fez of the group. Um, Gwen's brother, Nate, comes down with this girl, Nick, who's his girlfriend, and this other dude. 
he says, he's like, the best thing just happened to me. So the other kid, Jay, he sits next to Leia and he's like, hey, new girl. So I guess he's supposed to be like the Kelso of the group. Uh, Nate tells a story. So they're in his van and, you know, it's a full on flashback. Nick wonders, like, why does Jay always sit in the front? And he's like, I call shotgun. And Nick says, he that well, she's like, well, I'm your girlfriend. And Nate's like, yeah, but he's my best friend. And he's like, bro. And he's like, bro, bro, bro. And it's just like, that is not funny. I don't, you know, bro, 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 back and forth is is not humor. That was like a strike. I, I didn't really care for that. As they're sitting in the van, I don't know why they're just parked there. Some dude comes up and asks him, he's like, are you here to pick up a beer from, you know, Mama's Liquors or whatever? Uh, Nate and Jay kind of look at each other. They're like, yes. Then he's like, and you prepaid, right? They look at each other. Yes. And then he puts a keg in the back and he's like, all right, have a good fourth. So they're back in the basement. And this basement is kind of tiny compared to the original basement because this is, you know, at Donna's. So there's a reason why they never hung out at Donna's, I guess. So in the basement, they're, they're, you know, going bro, 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 back and forth, which is again, so stupid and annoying. Gwen's like, she's like, wait, why are we still talking? Let's tap the keg and get stupid. Then Nate's like, yeah. And then he realizes he doesn't have a tap. So Donna's having like a beer in the kitchen. She's, in a dining area she's like this feels weird so it's like a table scene you know the cameras are rotating around eric's sitting next to her and kitty's like well i'm having fun they're playing cards and red's um you know holding his cards he's like why is it so smoky so it's like wait are they doing drugs and then kitty she's like oh the popcorn so the popcorn's starting to burn then red says enjoying yourself kids he's like you're upstairs people now and donna's like i knew it would happen just not this soon Nate is frustrated because he can't open the keg. He, you know, he's trying to figure out like how he could hammer it open or whatever. Leia's like, why don't you just go buy a tap? And they're like, they won't sell to us. She's like, you know, mama hates us all and, you know, underage drinking, whatever. Then then they're like, you should buy it. You know, Leia, or she, you know, Leia should buy it. They're like, you know, mama doesn't know you, whatever, like that. And then they're like, yeah, whatever. Ozzy's like, she'll get carded. So they have a plan. I forgot if it was her plan or whose plan. She goes goes in dressed like she's pregnant. You know, she's got a big you know bump under her her little dress that she put on. And uh, mom was like looking at her, she's like you're drinking your condition. She's like, oh, my husband got a keg for the baby shower. She's like, okay. When um, she it was like thirty nine something like that. So she goes to reach for his money, but then she kind of like pushes the bump to the side so she can get to like her purse or whatever. And mom was like, I'm sick of you kids. She's like, I'm gonna call the the cops. And then Leia's like, oh, go ahead. Then you can explain how you gave a keg to a bunch of kids. And she's like, that wasn't me. That was my son. And he's like, mama. Leia's like, so either way, you lose your liquor license. So why not sell the tap and we can all have a fun 4th of July. And mama has no, she does it. So they're all drinking beer at the water tower. It's like, how the heck did they get the keg up up a water tower? It just seems kind of kind of crazy. Gwen says to Leia, she's like, you're a badass, Darren. And Leia's like, yeah, I wish I could stay this whole summer. Then she's like, my dad will never go for it. So uh, Eric's upset. Leia missed the fireworks and the, the weenies. And then she comes in. And he's like, Leia Tatooine Foreman. Donna's like, that's not her middle name. It's Anne. And he's, and he's like, I never agreed to that. So then he's like, where have you been? And he's like, oh, my God, is that beer? Because she comes in. And she's got, got a red cup. And she's like, yeah. She's like, I spilled the rest coming down to Water Tower. And Eric's like, Water Tower? 
what the hell? And Donna tells him, she's like, let me handle this. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure thing. And then he's like, she's like, water tower, what the hell? So Red Toasted Kitty says, this is my kind of fireworks. So he's enjoying the show. Leia's like, like, yeah, at a water tower. She's like, I had a great time. She's like, I don't want it to end. And she's like, I know you're not going to like me saying this, but I want to stay in point place for the summer. She's like, this is my life, and I'm done letting it suck. Donna's like, Leia. And Eric's like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, unleash the barrels. Go, go, Donna. Donna's like, that took courage. She's like, I'm impressed. And she hugs her. Eric's like, what? And he's like, this is a ridiculous idea. Kitty jumps in. She's like, oh, I'll hand this. And he's like, okay, yeah, go, mom. And she's she says, Leia, you can stay as long as you want. And then Red's like, Kitty. And then she like looks at him. He's like, I guess that's what we want. Because <laughs> he's not going to argue with Kitty. So Leia says to Eric, you know, they always talk about the amazing times they had with their friends. She's like, I want that. She's like, I want amazing. And, and he's like, listen he's like in the space of one day you've gotten pierced you've gotten beer and you've gotten extremely snippy and he's like i don't even know who you are anymore so no you can't stay she's like i knew you were gonna say that and she's like i'm not getting in the car and you can't make me she like storms out he's like oh you're getting that car or, or my foot is getting in your ass and kitty's like oh eric donna's like so bad and red's like i have never been prouder he's like it's like watching you hit your first home run if you had ever done that <laughs> so then later eric's sitting on the, on the hood of his car in the driveway donna comes out and he's like i studied star wars my entire life and at my moment of truth i turned into my evil father and she's like you know i thought about it it's like her staying isn't the craziest idea it's like your parents can can watch her and he's like were you not here with me in the 70s? He's like, they are not the best watchers. And Donna's like, she's a great kid. And he's like, I know. And she's like, we can trust her. And he's like, I know. He says he just can't stand the feeling. You know, she doesn't need him anymore. And he's like, I mean, she was my little buddy. And now she's like a stranger. Oh, kids, that's, that's how it goes with kids, right? Donna's like, she's just growing up. And he's like, well, I don't like it. And she's like, it'll be okay. It's like, you know, we have our whole lives because your parents gave us a space to find each other. And he's like, uh, you looked tw- like 20 feet away. Pretty sure we would have found each other. And she just laughs. He goes down to the basement. Leia's like lying and sulking on the sofa. And then he's like, oh, what happened to the nose ring? And she's like, it was a magnet. It's like, I sneezed and went down the drain. And he's like, ah. He's like, I'm heartbroken. Then he's like, you know, when I was your age, me and my friends, we pretty much lived down in this basement. He's like, you know, we'd kill time. We'd listen to music. We'd do other things. He's like, sitting on those stairs right there, that's where I fell in love with your mom. And she's like, you guys didn't. And he's like, no. So he says that he was thinking about it and she should stay for the summer. And she's like, are you for real? And he's like, yeah. If anyone deserves some amazing, it's you. She gives him a big hug. She thanks him. She's like, I'm sorry, I was kind of a jerk. And he's like, I'm going to miss you, pal. So very touching. They're heading out. Eric says, like, he's like, remember, our number hasn't changed. Donna comes down with all the luggage and everything. Like, she's like, I got it again. And Eric's like, yeah, okay. He's like, what? <laughs> kind of shrugs. Hugs. Um, Eric says, you know, with, with her new friends, he wants her to hang out in grandpa's basement as much as possible. And Eric or Red's like, no, uh-uh, no way. And Kitty's like, it's the safest place for her. Eric says that, it's like, that is so right. And then Red's like, nicely played, son. And he's like, I learned from the best. And Red's like, no one likes an ass kisser. 
And Eric's like, I love you too, dad. And he walks out. Donna says to Kitty on her way out, she's like, bye, mom. And she walks out. And Kitty's like, touch. She's like, she said, mom, I win. And she's like, that's why you don't mess with a pro. Later, Kitty says she needs to make a shopping list. The kids will want snack. Red's like, don't feed them. That's how it started the first time. Leia and Jay come in and she's like, uh, me and my friends are going to the lake. And Red's like, hold on, who are you? And he's like, he's like, I'm Jay. And Red just looks at him. He's like, Jay Kelso? And he's like, no, uh-uh, no way. And then it was kind of weird. This doesn't make any sense, but I loved it absolutely 100%. Michael Kelso, Aston Kutcher, pops his head and he's like wearing a suit. And he's like, burn! And then he's like, oh, I see you met my boy here, huh? He's like, look at this guy. Look at him. He's got his dad's looks and his mom's brains. He's like, straight A's last year. And Red's like, sweet Lord, it's evolving. So then he tells the kids, he's like, have fun. He's like, and if you jump off the cliff, do it naked. Because if you hit the the water at the right angle, it's like you're doing it with the lake. So it's like horrible fatherly advice. He says hi to Kitty and they're, you know, just kind of, he like picks her up, gives her a hug. And she's like, ah, you know. So then he's like, so Red, we need to talk about your granddaughter's intentions with my boy. And he's like, no, I'm just kidding you. He's like, come on, let's hug it out. And he's like, what do you think? And then Jackie comes in, woo you know and she's like michael let's go he's like damn jackie will you just give me a minute to enjoy this he's like the vein on red's forehead is about to explode and jackie's like gross she's like i don't want old guy blood all over my wedding outfit and red's like you're getting married and jackie's like remarried kelso's like it's our second remarriage so they're getting married again whatever they leave Kitty's like, well, I'm off to the market she's like i'm getting fritos tostitos doritos all the itos i'm back baby and Red's left standing, and he's like smiling. Then he's like, son of a bitch. So then later, Kitty and Red show the kids the basement, and Red's like, uh, you know, lights on, shirts on, and no dancing. And Leia's like, no dancing. You're like that guy from Footloose. And he's like, look at her, and she's like, no dancing. So then uh, Kitty says if they get bored, she found some old records and games of her dad's and a few magazines he doesn't think that he wanted her to see. She got rid of them. So they leave. Gwen opens a Candyland box. There's a paper bag in there. And she's like, no way. Your grandmother just hooked us up. And Leia's like, what is it? And Gwen's like, the best summer ever. They're all happy and everything like that. And Leia's like, but seriously, what is it? So... 20 year old pot i don't think that's gonna be very good unless my my question has always been and that that's the end of the episode my question has always been did red and kitty know that they're smoking pot down there because they're so they're they're hotboxing down there there's so much smoke in it one you would think it would seep up to the upstairs or two the kids would reek of it i mean there would smell uh, you would smell it right away or three if they ever went down there because i'm sure kitty went down there to replenish you know there was a freezer with popsicles or whatever she would have to smell it down there did they just absolutely have no idea what it smelled like did they completely air out the place and and load the place up with air freshener so if if they actually knew did Kitty, you know, she went to the grocery store. Did she really get some some marijuana and hook them up? Or is it really like old marijuana from 20 years ago? I, I don't know. I, I like 
a lot of of this first episode, but like I said, I'm I'm a little nervous about having the episodes focus mainly on the kids because I don't I don't really like all the kids. Uh, you know, um, Nate, I I find him kind of annoying. Um, Gwen's Gwen's fine. I you know she I I like her. Nick, we haven't really there, there hasn't been enough with her, so I I don't have an opinion on her. And Jay, uh, I don't know. There's just a the. I guess he's a smarter Kelso, slightly smarter Kelso. I'm not super crazy about him so far, but maybe you know things will change after the next episode or after a few episodes. So I don't know if I'm going to cover this next week, if I'm going to continue. Part of me, well, one, because it's just too much to watch. And plus the fact that all these episodes are out. So it's like, I feel compelled to try to watch those. And it, you know, it kind of doesn't make sense to drag this out when they're already out there. And for people who really care, they probably already watched them all. The other thing is I kind of feel like because how much I liked the first series. And if I did like this, I kind of would want to savor them. You know, I don't want to like plow through them and not really be able to process or enjoy them. So I don't know. Again, you know, I would say let me know, but by the time you listen and I'm starting to plan the next week and I, I just don't know. I, I think it's just, that's the pilot episode, you know, take it from there. Uh, maybe if I get a chance to watch some more, you know, maybe I can just in general say, has it improved or not? But I don't know if I'm going to cover anymore because I just find the sitcoms harder to cover because it's when I explain the jokes, they're not going to be as, as funny or you're not gonna be able to appreciate them as much if you're actually watching it. So it just, it seems harder to cover it. And I, I just, I don't know how entertaining it would be listening to me talk about a sitcom, you know, the plot line. So I don't know, but, but I, I did, I did like the first episode at least. So it, was, it was a good pilot. All right. And now this week's main feature is the last of us. So the last of us TV show episode one or season one, episode one, I always messed that up when you're lost in the darkness. So uh, the first episode, it was like almost an hour and a half. I think it was just under that. And um, obviously it's, it's based off the game. Luck, I maybe luckily for me. I mean, unfortunately, luckily, whatever. I haven't had a chance to play the game. I've always wanted to, but I, as I keep saying, I just I don't have time. I mean, trying to watch all the shows, trying to read all the comics, and you know, teaching during the day, you know, teaching full time, and then uh, just doing a podcast. I don't have time for for video games. Sadly, it really bums me out. But that's the the choices I make. So with the game, I don't really know the main things, but with this first episode there's there's one point there's one big thing that happens and and I'm going to talk I'm going to do full on spoilers you know blow by blow talk about the whole thing just like I normally do with the TV shows so there's one thing that happens that it it's you kind of know it's coming but still <laughs> it it it's you weren't quite ready for it so what's interesting about the TV show is it's um it's at a 99% on Rotten Tomato 96% audience score so uh, people are are definitely digging it and everything, and um, it's going to be the first season is is nine episodes, and um, Pedro Pascal, I mean everyone in in the show does just a really really good job. So um, I think rather I'm just going to just get into it because you know it is a, a longer episode, so it's going to take me you know longer to, to get through this. So it starts off in 1968. 
And, you know, there, there's someone talking about their the biggest worry, you know, it's like any kind of virus, but probably something similar to influenza because of air travel and, you know, the coughing, but also actual like air travel, like on planes. So like a, a virus in Madagascar could be in Chicago in a matter of weeks and we end up with a global pandemic. So then the whole world becomes sick at once. So it's just like on a TV show and there's these like these two uh, scientists or whatever that are the guests. The TV host asks this other dude, and he's, he's also, he's an epidemiologist. His name's Dr. Newman. He's like, are you also worried about a, a viral pandemic? And the guy's like, no. And he's like, mankind has been at, at war with, with the uh, you know virus from the start you know something sometimes uh, millions of people die but as in an actual war but at the end we always win you know he does agree that microorganisms pose a dire threat he feels that fungus is more of a threat there, you know there are some fungi who don't seek to kill but to control so i, I thought this whole thing was was a kind of like an interesting I, I never really thought about it this way and he, he talks about he's like he's like where does lsd you know he's like where do you get lsd from and then the host's like where do you get lsd from but he's he says you know it comes from fungus so viruses can make us ill but fungi can alter our very minds and you know he talks about you know a fungus this one certain fungus whatever enters an ant it controls it like a puppeteer and then it starts to get hungry and it begins to devour its host from within but it doesn't let its victim die it keeps a puppet alive by preventing decomposition and he's and then it's like how so this dude mentions he's like penicillin so the first doctor counters he's he says like yeah this this is real but not in humans Second dude, you know, who's going on about the fungus, he he agrees. He's like, sure, it can't survive its host, you know, inter internal temperature, you know, over ninety four degrees. Currently, there is no reason for the fungi to evolve to withstand higher temperatures. He's like, but what if that were to change? What if, for instance, the world were to get slightly warmer? So this guy's like predicting the future. <laughs> He's like, now there is a reason to involve. And then host says, so if that happens, and dude's like, we lose. Then it cuts to 2003. Oh, man. We see this girl, Sarah. She wakes up. She looks at the time. She wakes up her dad, Joel, Pedro Pascal. And, you know, she makes him breakfast because it's his birthday and he's 36. This guy, Tommy, comes over and Joel, you know, Joel refers to him as Uncle Tommy. It's Diego Luna. At first, I'm like, is that really her uncle or just like a family friend? But it is actually her real uncle, uh, you know, his brother. So uh, they're about to head out to a job, and you know Joel does want to bring in another guy because they don't have to split the pay further. He's like, I don't want to split the pay with you, but he says that they're gonna they could do it if they work a double. Sarah's like, but it's your birthday, and and he so he you know she's not happy, but he's like, I'll be back by nine. He's like, I'll bring a cake. Then the, the news reporter on the radio talks about disturbances Jakarta. Joel and Tommy are like, what, where is that? Like, what, what country is that? And so Sarah explains that it's not necessarily the country. It's the capital of Indonesia. You know, not everything in Asia is a country. So then they have to head out. So she goes into his room, and she goes in a drawer, and she takes out a watch, and, and then there's, like, some money in there. So she takes some money. So I like, dude. And there's also a pocket knife, and then she, but she puts a knife back. And she, you know, she just takes some of the money in the watch, and she doesn't take all the money. So Tommy, his, he's driving his truck, and you see his like his bumper sticker. He's a Desert Storm veteran, so you know, just a little information we're told. And um, and then at this point, it's weird because then on the screen, it it tells us that this is Austin, Texas, and it's September twenty sixth. 
So then at school, we see Sarah's in class, and she kind of seems bored, probably because she's smart. Then after school, you know, instead of going on a school bus, she crosses the street and takes a public transit bus. So it's like, okay, what kind of trouble are you getting into? She goes into like the city because it looks like a little rougher, and she goes to this clock shop because she wants to get her dad's watch repaired. And, and the guy's like, oh, it's, it's just a spring. You know, it's only going to cost like 20 bucks or whatever like that. But as he's, he's like, I can fix it now. So as he's working on it, there's, you know, sirens, cop cars, a fire truck, and like a SWAT truck drive by. And, you know, the guy doesn't look up. And he's like, oh, you know, this happens all the time, whatever. Then the dude's wife comes in, and she's like, we're closing. And, you know, the the, the dude, he's like, it's only 315. He's like, we close at 7. She's like talking to him in, in Arabic. And, you know, she puts a close sign on the door. And she's then she says, you know, to her, she's like, oh, you won't be able to finish your watch. She's like, oh, I just finished it, whatever. So then she tells Sarah, she's like, you should go home, and and pretty much like shoves her out the door, and she's like pulls on the blind at the door, and you see the, like the blinds and the windows closed down. So at this point, I'm like, you know, you you know, this is basically a show about zombies. You know, there's something like this coming. So it's like, oh crap, is she not going to make it home? But thankfully, she makes it home. Not really sure she catches another bus right away, but she gets her. And at first, I'm like, she's walking with this bot. Is someone, you know, some street thug is going to jump her or whatever. But she goes home. She has to visit the neighbors because, uh, so one neighbor's like kind of like unresponsive. She's in a wheelchair. And then, uh, um, I don't know if it was her husband, or whatever, you know, he like mentioned as they're about to leave how, you know, Sarah hasn't been over in a while. And, and Joel pretty much is like, oh, yeah, she'll come over after school or whatever, like that. So she goes over there. You know that they hang out with the uh, like the old lady, but more so like the daughter, or whatever. And then Sarah's like, "Was there anything on the news? Because you know there's a lot of police stuff, uh, you know, police and stuff on the roads." And she's like, "Oh, it's always like that." You know, so she has no idea. So they're supposed to make cookies. Uh, <laughs> you know, Sarah's like chocolate chip, and and this lady's like, "It's like no raisin." So then we see Sarah's you know does some homework. The old lady in the wheelchair, you know, she's apparently deaf too, and she's just again just like non-responsive. Sarah gets up while, you know, the other ladies in the kitchen and she looks at some DVDs and she finds one. But then you see like the old lady in a wheelchair in the background just out of focus as Sarah's like at the looking at the movies. She starts like twitching and like and stuff like that. So it's like, oh, crap, what's going on? She doesn't look back at her. She goes into the kitchen and she asks the, the, the lady if she can borrow this video. Um, and she's like, oh, yeah, that was, you know, so and so was whatever. Then she's like, well, my, my dad will probably be home soon, so I, sh- I should get going. And then uh, the old lady's just sitting in, like normal when Sarah goes to leave. Their dog, Mercy, is just like sitting there staring at the lady. And Sarah, I, I mean, it's it seems kind of freaky. Sarah just kind of looks at him. It's like, you know, and then she just walks out and, and leaves. But it's just like, okay, this this is not good. Outside, she sees like three fighter jets like fly overhead. So it's like, what the heck is going on? Then she's on the couch at home. You know, she's like, you know, reading the TV reporter says, you know, there's no comment from the Austin police regarding the rash of violent incidents across the city. Some people are suggesting a new street ju- drug may be to blame. Dad comes home. He um, and he comes. He's like, oh, you actually locked the door for once. He's like, good job. He's just like tired. He's beat from the job. And she's like, it's 10 o'clock because he said nine. He's like, oh, yeah, I know and everything. And she's like, where's the cake? And he like curses. And she's like, come on, man. He said that he'll get them one tomorrow. And she's like, well, swear or you don't get your, your present. He's like, oh. he, then he's like, on my life. So he opens a box with his watch and she says that she fixed it for him. And he holds it to his ear. He's like, did you though? And she's like, what? He was joking. And then he's like, where'd you get the money for it? And she's like, drugs. 
I sell hardcore drugs. And he's like, that's better than what I do. She's like, it was only $20, which I stole from you. And he like looks at her and she's like, I could have stolen 60, but I, I put the change back because I'm an honest thief. And she's like, besides, it's a thought that counts and you were never going to do it for yourself. He like looks at her and he like thanks her. Um, then she's like, and there's one more. And she shows him the movie that she brought from next door. I think it was called like Curtis Viper 2 or something like that. And it was, I couldn't really read it. And he like silently grabs it. He's like, oh, this is the one with the deleted scenes. And she's like, yeah, imagine how bad those have to be. So they start watching it and, and he's like, you're going to stay awake for this. She's like, of course. But then later she's sleeping. Joel's phone goes off and it's Tommy. And he's like, I'm okay, but I'm in jail. Joel softly curses. And Tommy's like, it wasn't my fault. He's like, it wasn't my fault this time. He's like, I would, as at, at the bar, some guy goes crazy, starts swinging at a waitress. I step in, knock him out, and the cops show up. And, and he's like, it, it doesn't matter. He's like, you got to bail me out. You know, it's, it's Friday. If, if you don't get me out tonight, I'm going to be here all weekend. He's like, it's a flipping madhouse. So Joel carries Sarah to bed. And it's only 11.03. So she is like, didn't even make it an hour in a movie, and she's completely out, whatever. So then... Um, She's sleeping. Now it's, I think it was like 2.16 a.m. There's like, like helicopters and noise, whatever. Sirens. There's like this dull boom. You know, she's like kind of woken up because these helicopters just like get closer or whatever like that. She goes to her dad's room. You know, she calls out to him. She goes downstairs. She has no idea where he is. She turns on the TV. There's like a test pattern or whatever. And then, you know, national alert. Primary entry point system issued an emergency action notification. Stay indoors. Law enforcement emergency services are in the area and will be in contact with further instructions. Then she gets startled because the dog from next door like kind of jumps on the, the living room windows, like barking. She goes out there and the dog Mercy like whimpers when when she like opens the door and Sarah goes to see you know, what's going on. Mercy doesn't move and she's like barks. So she's like trying to take Mercy back to the neighbor, you know, she's like trying to drag her by her her collar. Dog is like resisting everything, doesn't want want to go, and then slips off his collar and just like runs. And she hears like some clanking from the house, from the neighbor's house. She like calls out and the door is open and there's like a big bang, like a gunshot outside. She keeps looking. She goes, you know, looking for a neighbor. She goes inside, doesn't see anyone. She goes like in the kitchen. She steps in something like almost slips. It's like a big streak of blood. So the neighbor dude, he's sitting in the corner and you can see like he, his neck's all red, like just blood. He's like, help me. So he, he, like he got bit in the neck or something like that. And then the, Mrs. Adler, the old lady, she's like next to the fridge and, and she's like chomp, must be chomping on, on the dude's wife, her daughter or something like that because there's like still like hair in her mouth or whatever like that. And then she gets up and like screams. Sarah like runs outside and just in time, Tommy's truck pulls up and Joel yells, like, get in. Mrs. Adler comes out. You know, she was in a wheelchair all the time. She comes out the front door and Tommy shoots her. And she goes down, but then she gets back up, starts running at them. Joel just whacks her with a monkey wrench. And Sarah's like shocked. And she's like, you, you killed her. And he's like, it's, it's not just the Adler. She's like, you know, we're going to be brave and, and get through this. And it's like power transformer, like explodes down the street, whatever. This other neighbor comes out like, Joel, what's going on? And he's like, just get in your house and lock the door. Truck turns around. I really like this this part when you see like the the, the headlights. It almost looked like it was a, a video game because you know as they turn around to go the opposite way, and you know you just see like the, just the lights going over like the houses and stuff like that. Then there's like a couple of, like freaky people just standing like limping in the street, and then they kind of freakily run at them. Tommy like 
plows forward they go after the other neighbors so i think she's like joe what'd you do and then you because know, he i think they they like hit one of the, the, the people whatever so they're driving like cops you know speed by in the other direction and sarah's like daddy and he's like we don't know you know he just like cuts her off right away tommy's like they're saying it's a virus or a parasite and she's like is it from terrorists and joe's like we don't know and she asks she's like are we sick and he's like of course not and she's like why did the things blow up and tommy's like you know there's no cell phone no radio and she's like how do we know we're not sick so she's like really kind of freaking out in a calm way but joel says that it's mostly people in the city that's why the highway's blocked off and then they see this place up to like this house is in flame and tommy's like that's jimmy's place and sarah's like the, the adlers would take nana into the city to like to the hospital for stuff and joel's like yeah that's right that's that's probably why and she's like but you you have to go a lot right and tommy's like we're fine so here's the thing at at this point obviously you know you even know from the trailer that joel is going to be taking care of some other girl not sarah so it's like something happens to sarah so as i'm thinking as as i'm watching this because i haven't played the game and i've tried i've made did my i did manage to do it avoided spoilers completely so it's either like she gets sick because she went into the city. Did she get infected? She gets separated because I was like, okay, I don't think Joel is is hanging out with another dude with his brother. So maybe Diego Luna, you know, Uncle Tommy and Sarah get separated or she gets killed. She gets attacked by a zombie or something happens. So but he's like, they're fine. So then they, they see like a car pull over the side of the road like engine smoking the dude's like flagging him down you know there's there's like a woman with like a, a baby in her arms or like that tommy starts slowing down and joe's like what are you doing tommy's like they have a kid and joe's like so do we so sarah's like we could just put them in the back but you know tommy just has to keep going and joe's like somebody else will, will come along and and you see like a tear goes down sarah's face so she's like really upset with just how tough her dad is being you know but he's he's doing this to protect her and then later, Sarah's like, you know, maybe it's it's everywhere. You know, maybe there's nowhere to go. And there's like loud roaring over overhead. Just passenger fly plane flies like super low, and there, there and there's like a couple other planes like behind it. So they've reached like this other town or whatever. And the cops like drive up ahead and like block off the road. So they turn down this, this side street, and then there's a bunch of people like just like running all over the place. So the road has like too many people running, and they're like kind of shoving each other and stuff like that. So they start backing up. And Sarah's like, Dad, and there's this like plane coming. You see it like you know a few blocks down. It's smashes into the street, and there's like huge fireball and this chunk of plane, you know, all this like pieces flying at it. It hits a truck and it goes black. Then you there's like you know as they're coming to muffled booms where Joel grunts and he tells Sarah like not to move, whatever. He asks Tommy if he's okay. Sarah's like breathing heavy and everything. There's like fire in the streets, whatever. Or is it like a, you see someone like hunched over chomping on someone or something like that. Joel grabs her and she says that her ankle hurts so she can't really walk. A police SUV like slams into this truck and like separates Joel and Sarah because they're kind of like in this like alley. So they get cut off. And Tommy's like, just head to the river. He's like, I'll find a way. So they're separated. And again, this totally feels like something that would happen in a video game. She says that, you know, she can't really walk. So Joel picks her up. They go, go down this alley and then there's a bunch of people like feeding. And then Joel kicks open the door to this building, but it's like he doesn't close it. I guess you know he's he's not even bother. And plus, his you know his hands are full, so he runs through. And he goes like into this diner, and there's like one zombie person chasing him. So these are like the zombies that can move. 
They don't shuffle along. They can run, and they, they don't have a lot of coordination, but they bang into things. They, they'll still come after you. So then he gets outside. Uh, the, the zombie's like almost on top of him, and then, So I was like, okay, Tommy got him, right? Nope. The soldier yells. He's like, don't move. And Joel's like, my daughter's ankle's hurt. And the soldier's like, stay right there. And then he's like, we're not sick. So the soldier like radios. He's like, I got two civilians by the river. It's like one injured ankle. And he's like, repeat? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And then it's like, oh, crap. He raises his rifle again. And Joel's like, shakes his head. He's like, we're not sick. And then... Like machine gun, Joel tries running. They tumble down this little hill. Joel like runs over and everything like that. Soldier points his rifle at him. He's like, I'm sorry. And Joel's like, please don't. And then, pew, soldier falls over. Tommy's there. Now Tommy's there. Gets the soldier. They go to Sarah. She's like breathing very fast and everything. She got shot in the side. Joel tries picking her up and it like hurts and everything like that. And she's just like screaming. And then Joel's like pushing. He's like, I, I know it hurts. He's like, you're going to be okay. And then, then he's like, I have to get you up. And he yells at Tommy. He's like, help me. And Tommy's just like, Joel. And then he has Sarah in his arm. And she like stops screaming and everything like that. And he like hugs her. And it just fades to black. So at this point, it, just, it really hit me. And I, I, I teared up. And part of it, I'm thinking, is like my daughter. Uh, I was just like, you know, because you do whatever. You, and, you know, if you're a parent, you know, you, you thank God, you know, you never have to be in a situation like this or in a situation where, you know, your your child's life is in danger because, you know, they are your everything. And, and just the idea of watching, oh, man, it just it, it slammed into me. So even though I had a strong idea this was going to happen, it, it still hit me hard. I think they did a great the, the actress playing Sarah and 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 you know it revolved. You see all the stuff. She's such a sweet kid. <sighs> then it cuts twenty years later. So you see the woods. There's this kid walking slowly down his path. Boston, twenty twenty three. So edge of the city. You, you know. Then you see like some city streets, cars, lampposts, like overgrown with vegetation. So this must must be like twenty years of this zombie outbreak or something like that. So then there's this wall. It's like welcome is written on there. In the front, there's like some a couple soldiers, whatever. They see the kid, like kind of walks up and he falls over. So they run up to him. They bring him through the gate. Uh, the kid's wrists are bound and he's like in this like kind of like a wheelchair. There's like signs in the room. Like one says, report signs of cordyceps infection, coughing, slurred speech, muscle spasm, mood change. And, and then there's like another sign that says like time to full infection. So basically like if you're bitten in the neck, face or head it's supposed to be like five to ten five to fifteen minutes you're you'll be infected if you're bit in the torso arm or s- s- shoulder or hand two to eight hours the leg or foot 12, 12 to 24 hours so the soldier tells the kids you know i was like oh we, we don't want you falling out of the chair it's like yeah right they ask the kid his name but he, there's no answer and he's like are you alone and there's like a slow nod then she's like um, how did you get this wound on your leg? There's like this little circle wound or like that. And then this other dude comes up, like pricks him with a scanner in the neck and you see it's red. And a soldier tells the kid, what if I told you after we gave you some medicine, we're going to find you your favorite food to eat. Would you like that? And the kid nods. And then we'll get you some new clothes and toys, as many as you want to play with. And then the other soldier comes up with a needle to the arm. And she's like, you're safe. Then we see like some people are burning dead bodies like out, out in the street. Truck pulls up with more bodies. This woman, and so one of them is Joel. 
you know, even though he has like a, like a handkerchief over you know his face. And there's this woman. They go to the back of the truck, and she's like, "I can't." And then you see the little kid that came in the gate. He's there, like with the bag over his head. So the red scanner meant that he was infected. And there's, I guess, apparently there is no medicine. So they killed him. Joe picks up the body, tosses it in the fire, just like that. End of the workday, they get paid, like, like these ration cards or something like that. And Joel asks the dude, he's like, do you have anything else? And uh, the dude's like, not today. He's like, tomorrow we have street sweeping and sewer maintenance. And Joel's like, which one pays more? He's like, that'd be the one with the poop. So he nods. He's like, okay. So then the, the guy's like, late crew, 4 p.m. start. There's a sign in the building. It says curfew hour, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Anyone on the streets without approval is subject to immediate arrest. And there's like armed soldiers watching from the top of buildings. And there's this, you see like a street sign, like shoelaces, one ration card each, bootlaces, two ration cards each. Some people are, are painting over like some graffiti on the walls, like some kind of logo. Like it's supposed to be like this Firefly logo. Three people um, say, are standing with their their hands bound behind their back in this like public square. They're charged with unauthorized exit from a quarantine zone. So they're going to get hung. They're like on this big platform and all the people are just kind of like watching. Joel's like standing there, you know, he looks over at this and kind of like eyes this soldier and then they, they go meet in this back alley. Soldier hands out like a stack of ration carts and Joel, at first he doesn't take it. And then he counts and says, the dude is five short. And then instead of paying him, he gives him like a little tin foil with like uh, some s- smokes wrapped in, in inside. Joel gives him a pill, and he's like, "It's oxy." And Joel's like, "Hydro." He's and they're like, "How old is it?" He's like, "Probably like three months." And because he, he says like from some factory or whatever like that, so Joel gives him a baggie with some more. He's like, "I need the bag back." So then he asks about the vehicle, and the soldiers tells Joel to do himself a favor and stay off the street because I guess he's getting a vehicle for Joel somehow. He's like, "But there's no battery." He's like, "Don't worry about it." So soldier tells Joel, he's like, you know, do yourself a favor and stay off the streets the next few nights. He's like, a couple of sh- soldiers got shot by the fireflies. Boss has, has us working, uh, you know, doubles. He's like, and the guys are getting jumpy and tired. You know, so they can't tell the difference in the dark. So then uh, this, we see this dude. Uh, the, at first, I'm like, what the heck is going on? So this dude talking to this lady named Tess. He's like, it's, it's not like I planned on ripping you off. And she's like, I, she's like well, how would we just let it go? And then um, he gets up. And then she's like, well, what else are you going to do? Keep me here? Kill me? So this dude, Robert's like, come on. So this dude, Robert, ripped her off, but she's like being held there. He wants her to forget that this ever happened. And she's like, done. He's like, he's like, don't do that. And she's like, it's just a truck battery. He's like, she's like, I paid for it. You sold to someone else and you spent my money. She's like, you, th- you think I've never done that? And Robert's like, yeah, but, you know, my guy has messed you up. And she's like, so discipline them. She's like, cut off their finger or whatever. She's like, I don't care. They're your guys. And Robert's like, well, what about your guy? Because when he sees you, I mean, put yourself in my shoes. She's like, he answers to me. She, she's like, I give you my word that he won't hurt you. She, she's like, I'll tell him I got jumped by some guys. And, and then we can move the fudge on. She's like, I just want to get home and drink until my face stops hurting. He's like, are we good? And Robert's like, uh, he starts to say, yeah, but then the wall explodes and Tessa just like grunts and she coughs. She looks and like one of Robert's guys, like dead, like right, right in front of her face. She crawls out of the building. Robert's like gone. He must've ran somehow. got out of there. I, at first I was like, is he dead? Did he get buried in the rubble? 
she sees like this, like a burning Hummer like out in the, in the street. She, she starts to walk into the corner. She sees a bunch of like soldiers. So she ducks back around the corner. Then there's like some gunfire starts up. This firefly up, uh, guy up on the roof. So the fire fireflies must be like this terrorist, like anti whatever group starts yelling free Boston now, mother truckers. And more soldiers come from the direction she came from. So she's like crouches down, like, you know, gets in a ball, like covers her ears. And then as they get closer, she puts her hands up and she's like, they're shooting. They yell, get on your knees. And they kick her down and they cuff her. And she's like, I'm not a firefly. Then we see some girl chained to a floor. Some people come in and, and the, the girl kicks this like tray plate towards this lady. And then, then the, the lady's like, count slowly and clearly from one to 10. And she's like, she starts doing it. She's like slowly and clearly. So the girl counts one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. When she gets to eight, she finishes with fudge and you and flips her off and then she holds out her hand before you know she was going to be asked to do that she asked her to say her name she says veronica same as yesterday and the day before and the day before and and the lady like turns and leaves so then veronica says people are going to start looking for her. people from fedra she's like let me out or, or you're going to pay and then there's this like firefly logo on the back of the door when they leave so these firefly people have this girl locked up for some reason bunch of people are lined up in this hall they're like writing stuff like on, on paper or whatever joel walks and just goes down the hallway someone's like hey there's a line so there's a dude in there his name's abe he sends out messages for people he has like a radio so the people must be lined up and you know writing their messages whatever joel just goes up to him when this you know because the woman who just had a kid so she, i guess she wanted to message someone she walks out he just so he did cut the line he gives the, the dude a tinfoil of smokes abe lights one up and he shakes his head and he's like nothing Joe's like, is there any chance of it coming in at night? You know, you're sleeping and you miss it. Abe's like, no. He's like, when I'm sleeping, Gabriella listens or my son, the smart one, not the other one. So he's like, if Tommy responded, we'd know. At this point, we learn something happened to Tommy, but he's still alive. So he's like, you know, we're talking to Tower every day. You know, it hasn't been that long. And Joe's like, it's been three weeks. You know, it's never taken him more than a day to respond. And Abe says, you know, he's sure he's okay. Then Joe puts a map down. He's like, show me where that tower is. And he's like, you can't be serious. He's like, it's in Wyoming. He's like, all, all this open country. He's like, you're a capable guy, but there are worse things than infected out there. He's like, I hear it all on, on the radio. He's like, there are raiders or slavers. Joe's like, but you're sure Tommy's okay. So then Abe draws on a map and he's like, I don't know exactly. And Joe just grabs the map and, and leaves. So Joe goes to his apartment. He, there's like some loose floorboards underneath his big armoire he, there's like some tools and maps and stuff like that he's like looking at the map he drinks takes some pills he still has a watch you know like the glasses crack he crashes in his bed just goes out and he's like thinking back to that night with with his daughter he's still sleeping when someone comes in it's tess so she like lays down next to him in the morning he gets up she made coffee he sees her face at this point he starts to get up immediately and she's like you know right away she's like i it was just a couple i was jumped by a couple guys he's like what guys and she's like, just a couple teenagers she's like i said some stuff i probably shouldn't have she's like you know how these guys are you know born after the outbreak you know whatever and he goes to clean her wounds and he's like these aren't new and she says that she was in fedra lockup all day and she's like it doesn't matter he's like you know he needs to take a breath and he's like what she says that the guy who jumped her worked for robert and he sold her battery to someone else. And she's like, nothing's lost. You know, stuff like this is going to happen. They just shake it off and they get their cards back or the battery. And he's like, 
I need that battery. He's like, the truck's no good without one. And if I don't get to Tommy soon, he's like, he's going to die out there. And she's like, fine. She's like, we'll get the battery and our money, but Robert is terrified of you. And if you step out all Clint Eastwood, we're like, Robert's going to get wind of it and, and, and skip. She's like, also, I promise that you wouldn't hurt Robert, but I would very much like you to hurt him. <laughs> so they should go find Robert, get the battery, find Tommy. And he takes out you know, a couple more things from the floorboard. And he has a pistol in there also. So people in another building, they're fireflies. This lady in charge, her name's Marlene. And I think Marlene was played by the same woman who did the voice for the character in the game. Because I, I think they, they said that at the end or something like that. You know, there was like one of the behind the scenes stuff. So she asks this, um, the other about the other day or something like that. And the lady inside the room, Kim, says that they've been blowing up meaningless Fedra targets, you know, spread all over the QZ for, for two weeks. They've already lost four people. And she's like, what's the point of all this? And Marlene's like, that's your question. And she's like, well, that's one of them. So Marlene's like, my answer is to follow the fudging orders. And she's like, why do you have, then Kim's like, why do you have some random girl locked in a room? And, and the guys, you know, you have guarding her won't tell me poop. You know, our people are asking, you know, what's going on? And I don't know what to tell them. Marlene's like, tell them to follow fudging orders. And she tells the other people, you know, she's like, I, I need you two to go to whatever, this one corner, this one spot. So Marlene, you know, she's alone with Kim. And she's like, we're in a war against a military dictatorship to restore democracy and freedom. She's like, are we winning? Are we beating Fedra here? Are the Fireflies beating Fedra anywhere? And Kim's like, rebellion takes time. And she's, Marlene's like, 20 years and you get nowhere? You're not a rebellion. It's just spray paint. We're not hitting Fedra all over the QZ. And so she wants Fedra anywhere except where they are because tonight every Firefly in Boston is going to gather in this building and they're going to leave the QZ permanently. So Kim asks, she's like, are we quitting? And Marlene's like, no. She's like, we're taking that random girl and we're going west. So she shows her this message from their radio guy in Salem. And then Kim's like, is this real? And Marlene's like, I believe it is. So she's like, keep it quiet. Don't tell anyone. Then Kim's like, whatever you need, whatever it takes. She's like, we'll, we'll get her you know, wherever she needs to go. Joel's standing outside while Tess sit talking to some dude. This other guy comes up to Joel and then then you know whatever he's like if he, i think it was like a, he was a firefly or whatever guy so he's just like telling he's like if you say whatever this this one line lucida light or what i don't know if it's in title he's like i'm gonna punch you in the face so he just like leaves um she comes up to joel she says it costs a couple cars but they got him they know where he's at he's supposedly taking the battery to a red tag building corner of stillman and cross so veronica is yanked is yanking on a chain. You know, she's trying to like break it free, whatever. And she just gives up and sit. Marlene walks in and pushes a backpack over to her. And Ver Veronica starts looking inside right away. And there's a switchblade in there. Marlene sits closer and Veronica's like, you're not scared. And she's like, no. And she's like, then unlock me. Marlene's like, how about saying thank you for saving your life? And she's like, I'm the one who told him not to shoot you. If you recall, Veronica's like, yeah. And she had closed the knife. Then she's like, why did you stop them? And Marlene's like, we'll get to that. She takes the cuff off and like the, the chain. Then she asks if it's going to happen, you know, can she go? And and she's like, no. Veronica says, she's like, I won't tell anyone about any of this. And Marlene asks, you know, where are you going to go? Back to Fedra Military School? You that anxious to be a soldier? And Veronica asks, she's like, you think I chose that place? She's like, they put me there when I was a baby. It's for orphans. And Marlene's like, they didn't put you there. I did, Ellie.
So her name's not Veronica, it's Ellie. And she stares at her. She's like, are you my fudging mom or something? And Veronica's like, do I look like your mom? And she's like, no, you do not, because she's like black. So she introduced herself as Marlene. She's a leader of the Fireflies in the Boston QZ. Um, so then Veronica, Ellie, she's like, why would a terrorist dump me with Fedra? And she's like, because it's where you'd be safest. And you were safe there until you decided to sneak out. And she's like, and terrorists? She's like, was Riley a terrorist? And I don't know who Riley is. But then Ellie's like, shakes her head very slowly. Then after a bit, she whispers, she's like, why won't you let me go home? And Marlene's like, because you have a greater purpose than any of us could ever imagine. So we're leaving tonight and we're taking you with us. There's a knock on the door. Like, he's here. So Marlene's like, five minutes. And then to, to Ellie, she says that what she's about to tell her can't be repeated to anyone. Because if you do, I assure you, you will die. So Joel and Tess get to a door. Joel uses like tools to like snip the lock of a chain went on the door. They go through some, some tunnels. They reach this place. Uh, they, they go through a door. There was like something spray painted outside, whatever. In a room, like Tess freaks out because she sees like a dead decomposed remains. You know, there's like this dead body like against a wall. And she asked Joel if, so it's someone who was contaminated. She asked Joel if he thinks that he came down here after he was infected. Joel's like, or maybe, he, you know, down here is where he was infected. They climb up this ladder you know, to get to a certain level. And uh, she says that, you know, there's this door that's supposed to open to this hallway. She tries opening it, but it's kind of blocked. He, like, sniffs. He's like, gunpowder. They look at the bottom of the door, and there's, like, some blood, like, pouring through, like, underneath the door. Like, just, like, seeping through. So she, like, shoves the door open, and it was Robert's dead body blocking the door. So Robert's dead. And there's, like, more dead bodies all over the hall. The battery's there. She looks at it. She's like, it's no good. It's like, and he still tried to sell it twice. So the battery didn't even work. Then they hear like someone like wince and like grunt. Marlene is trying to help Kim walk. And then Ellie uh, jumps out through a door with like the switchblade. Joel just like bats her, like slams her across the hall. And then Marlene recognizes, she's like, Joel? And you know, she calls his name. And she's like, um, he's like Marlene. So they know each other. And Marlene asks Ellie if she's okay. She's like, yeah. So she's like sitting on the floor of the hallway. And uh, Marlene, she got shot in the side. And she says it's okay. She tells Ellie to like the chill because she like reached for the knife that you know Joel had his foot on because he likes he's stepping on a switchblade. Tess sees Marlene and says, "So this is who Robert screwed us over with." She's like, "Things must be going pretty bad for you to deal with a scumbag like him." And she's like, "Yeah, they are." Joel's like, "What do you need a battery for?" Tess reaches for a knife again, and Joel points a gun at her to get her to back off. Marlene and Kim both point their guns at him. They're like, "Not at her." It's like, "Point it at me." Then he looks at Ellie, and he moves his gun back on Marlene, and they both lower their guns. And she's like, to answer your questions, I need it for a better reason than you do. No offense, but Tommy's just one man. And he just like looks at her, and she's like, it's our business to know things. So he's like, to know things? She's like, you're the cause of it. You turned my own brother against me. So Marlene doesn't want to get into this again. Kim said that you know, there was a lot of gunfire. Fedra's going to be on their way you know, there soon. Marlene's She's thinking, then she decides she's, you know, to say that they were going to move Ellie out of the zone tonight, but they won't make it anywhere like this. Not for a while anyways. So she's like, so now I'm thinking you're going to do it. And Joe's like, the hell we are. And Ellie's like, I'm not going with them. And at first I was like, Ellie is so annoying. I cannot stand her. And I don't know if it's because I'm thinking of dead Sarah. And he tells us, he's like, we don't have time for this. And she's like, who is she? Marlene's like, to you, she's cargo. 
Joel says like it's like we don't smuggle people. He's like sorry, and Kim says she's like she's like I can do it. Marlene's like you don't have a fudging ear on your fudging head, and you see like her ear. She's like you know if her ear got shot off or something like that. She's like could you please, you know just like just shush. So Marlene continues. She's like there's a team of fireflies waiting for her at the old state house. He like scoffs, and she says that she knows what's out there. They were going with an entire squadron for that very reason, but now she doesn't have a truck. She doesn't have a squadron. Fedra is five minutes away, but what she does have is Joel, and she knows what they're both capable of, like Joel and Tess. And then Ellie looks at him. She's like, what are they capable of? Marlene says that if they get her there safely, they'll give him what he needs, not just a battery, the whole thing, fueled up truck, guns, supplies, all of it. She's like, I swear. He kicks a knife down the hall away from them. Ellie is like, hey, ho. <laughs> and, and it's just like they walk you know, down the hall a little bit. And Tess is like, do you trust her? And he's like, no. And she's like, me either. But she's like, they seem desperate. He's like, Firefly vehicle usually means repurposed Fedra stuff. So better than decent chance of making it to Tommy in one of those. And he's like, the, you know, the second we hand that kid over, Marlene's like, talk it over, please. But, you know, remember, I'm bleeding out over here. <laughs> so Tess turns around and says, okay, here's a deal. We get her to your safe house, but before we hand her over, they give us everything we want. If not, we kill her there and then. And Marlene's like, deal. It's like right away without even like a blink. And Ellie's like, really? That fast? Marlene says to her, she's like, you're all that matters. My team will not jeopardize that. Remember what I told you. She's like, now go get your backpack. Tess and, and Ellie start walking. Marlene says to Joel, she's like, don't fudge this up, please. So it's raining outside. They go to her apartment. They tell Ellie, uh, Tess tells Ellie to give them a minute and like close the door. They talk in the hall and she gets mad that they closed her and, and it's like, shut up, Ellie. So he's like, what's the plan? And Tess like, well, not a lot of options. He's like either the short way or the long way. The short way is pretty much, and then you can't really hear, it's like muffled. Joel says that leaves a long way. Ellie starts looking around her place. She finds this book on number one songs, like radio songs. She randomly picks it up, you know, like flips through the pages. There's then there's this piece of paper with some writing. It's like BF, and it's like 60s, nothing in. 70, new stock. So it's obviously for code. 80, there's just a red X. Joel comes in, tosses out his backpack, and Allie asks, like, who are Bill and Frank? And he like looks at her and she says, you know, the radio is a smuggling code, right? And she talks about the paper and, and asks, you know, what's 80s? You know, what's, what's the red X? He just grabs a book, tosses it on a table. And he lays down on the sofa. She's like, what are you doing? He's like, killing time. And she's like, well, what am I supposed to do? He's like, well, I'm sure you'll figure it out. He just like closes his eyes. She just grabs a book then. And then she's like, your watch is broken. He wakes up later and Ellie's like, you mumble in your sleep. So she's just like sitting by the window looking out. And she says that, you know, she's, she's never been on the other side of the wall. She's like, look how dark it is. And she asks if they go out there a lot. And he's like, I guess. And she's like, when was the last time? He's like, maybe a year. He's like, what's the matter? And she's like, but you know where to go, so we're going to be okay? He's silent for a bit, and he's like, yeah. And she's just like nuts. Then he's like, so what's the deal with you anyways? You some kind of bigwig's daughter or something? And she just says you know, something like that. Then she's like, oh, the radio came on while you were sleeping. And he's like, what? What was the song? And she's like, they just kept saying something like, wake me up before you go-go. Joel quietly curses. And she's like, gotcha. She's like, 80s means trouble. Code broken. Okay. So he gets up and he's like, listen. And then Tess walks in. She says, you know, this one spot under Lancaster looks good. So it's probably like they're way under the wall or something like that. 
She asks Ellie if she has a jack in her pack. She's like, get it. It's time to go. Outside, there's armed patrols like with radio saying mandatory curfew to fight infection and insurrection. Joel moves like chunk of concrete from inside a tunnel. They so they went under the wall. Ellie is in awe that that you know she's actually outside. Tess has to pull her down because there's like spotlights and stuff like that. And then she tells Ellie that they're gonna go around the, like the buffer zone. So stay close, follow her lead. They crawl like under a school bus. You know, there's like overturned cars. There's like truck drives by, you know, patrolling or something like that. And then it starts raining again. They go through this like drain pipe and this helicopter flies by. There's like lightning outside. Soldiers like taking a leak against the wall. Then he hears them. He, he manages to zip up and grabs his gun. He's like, don't move. They put their hands up. Turns out it's that one soldier that Joel traded you know, for the pills. And he's like, you've got to be pooping me. And Joel's like, okay, let's talk about this out. And he's like, get on your knees. And Tess is like, she's like, just, just get on your knees. So she says, uh, you know, let them do this run and they'll split the cards with him. And Lee's like, oh, his name's Lee. She's like, oh, will you? He starts like scanning them. And she's like, are we really? And he's like, yeah, we're doing this by the book. And Tess's like, okay, how about three fourths? Tess scan is green. So that means she's okay. He's like unauthorized exit. He's like, they'll hang you for that. And Joel's like, fine, everything off this run and half off all the pills. And Lee's like, half off? I was like, all off. He's like, risk my life for half off? And when he gets to Ellie, she like jabs him with the knife. And then they all like kind of freak out. He pulls the knife out. He points a rifle. And then Joel like stands in front of her. And he's like, we can fix this. And Lee's like, move. And he's thinking back to like the daughter, to his soldiers like pointing a gun at, his, at Sarah, his daughter. And so I think he kind of loses himself at the moment. And he just, he just loses it. He like tackles Lee. And he just pounds his head against the ground. And he punches him in the face like I think it was like 13 times. And he's just like, just hitting him. And Ellie's just like standing there staring at him. And then uh, Tess picks up the scanner and it's it's red. Ellie starts yelling. She's like, I'm not sick. I'm not sick. And she like shows her, her you know, holds out her arm. She's like, this is three weeks old. She's like, nobody lasts more than a day. Does this look like a day old to you? He's like, you know, you, you would have killed me. And Tess is like, I should fudge and kill you. He's like, when did it happen? She's like, it doesn't matter. You have to trust me. Joel's just like staring at his bloody knuckles. She's like, they're going to catch us if we don't run. There's sirens close by. Tess like, Joel, we have to move. So they climb through this fence. There's a sign that says, warning, biological contamination area, do not proceed. So the, it's just interesting that, again, you know, Joel, and, and there, there's the difference you see, like, uh, Ellie was kind of like fascinated with uh, the fact that Joel was like protecting her. And while, you know, Sarah was kind of like shocked. So, you know, two different kids again, whatever. So then back, it goes back to the apartment. The radio turns on, there's like static. And then Never Let Me Down Again uh, by Depeche Mode comes on. Song from the 80s. So that means trouble. Then there's like a shot of buildings, like, you know, kind of like rubble. One's kind of like knocked over a little bit, whatever. Overgrown vegetation everywhere. Then you hear like some screeches or something like that. End of episode. So they're about to go out in the big bad area. That's that's the end of the first episode. So it's just like, whew. Pardon me, I wonder if just the first episode was longer, probably, because, you know, HBO does that sometimes. But that, I mean, that was almost like movie length, you know, a shorter movie, but still. So um, it was kind of crazy. Uh, I, I read I, one per, one my uh, people, friends or whatever on Facebook didn't really like the first episode. They're like, not a lot happened. It was, it's like, are you crazy? It's like I guess all the critics and audience are loving it. I I enjoyed it, 
but it was just that that first that 30 minute mark oh, that just hit me so hard so that was the first episode and uh, i'm looking forward to this um i can't wait for more so you can watch the second episode now. So again, it's going to take me just a week to catch up. But that's going to be it for this week. So big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter and be awesome by going to patreon.com slash heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. I'm currently looking back at uh, X-Men, The Hidden Years from like 1999. So John Byrne. So you can hear about that. Um, sometimes I talk about movies. I'll, I'll do a movie soon. And sometimes like off my mind, just topics about certain things, like my thoughts on that. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash heck, And you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. That is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. So uh, what is going to be next week? Uh, I'm not really sure. Um, the, there's a movie Missing came out this Friday. So it's sort of like the sequel to Searching, uh, the John Cho movie where everything was was told through screens, you know, text, uh, YouTube videos, you know, stuff like that. So this is a different one. I, so I may do that. Uh, there's also this movie looks like called Fear. I'll be honest right now. I don't know anything about that. I don't know if I, I've seen anything for that. And I'm not sure if anything else is coming out. So, um, But then February 3rd, so I think that's the following week, is uh, Knock at the Cabin. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. So, um, But we'll see. There's also Sick that came out. Um, I, I can't remember if that was Peacock or Paramount. I think it was Peacock. Um, I don't know if that's – I haven't seen that yet. So maybe I can put throw that in as well. We'll see. But that is going to be it in the regular shows. Um, I hope you're doing well. I hope your January – you know, we're almost done with – You know, we're almost in February already. So I hope your year is off to a great start. Um, I hope you're doing well. I hope you're taking care of yourself. I hope you're taking care of others. And I hope you remember, just be good to each other.